0: We're live, everybody. Welcome in. It's Monday, 2.05 p.m. Central. I am joined today by the most beautiful person you've ever met. I don't know who created that poll on the YouTube uh, thing that's going on in the comments, but here's Matt Smith from Good Soil. Bad. how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm good, thanks. How are you? What, good. what poll is this? I'm not I'm not aware.
0: Don't worry about it. So okay. Matt is here to... Uh... <laughs> so very have to... Ominous,
1: and i very ominous, and I don't trust <laughs> you with that open. I, I feel like bad news is coming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Matt, for those that are not aware, Matt, uh, he's uh, he partners with Ahmed with Good Soil. They have a live stream, an awesome live stream I try to make every single week, every Tuesday. Uh, I believe 11.30 Central, 12.30 Eastern, right? You guys right. go live. Um, they, they always uh, look in, into the world of, uh, of Tesla. They, they analyze companies like Roblox and, uh, and other uh, really disruptive types of companies as well. Uh, just a couple really, really great guys. And Matt and I, uh, I consider him a friend, even though he's extremely ugly, but I still love him. Just doesn't matter it's, a, it's about what's in the inside not on the outside okay
1: <laughs> i always wonder how many people don't realize that our, our banter is sarcastic i'm, I'm sure there's a, g- a good number of them that see some of our tweets back and forth because they're kind of like oh my gosh what's yeah. what wrong with these people? yeah
0: these guys are like the worst people i've ever met that's part of the fun because i sometimes see those replies and i'm just i'm just like chuckling to myself you know yeah. and and then and then my wife's like okay what are you doing i'm like it's matt i'm like she's like damn it not this shit again <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing uh, all right so um did you have a good weekend we were talking uh, briefly I know you celebrated the, uh, the the holiday how was your weekend
1: yeah it was very nice it was uh busy jam-packed with uh, with stuff but it was nice um had a really great Easter um ate a lot of really good food I didn't have any I kind of gave up desserts and some other stuff so I like stuffed myself like more than I should have yesterday on, on all mm. that stuff and kind of was paying the price for it today but no it was really good how was your weekend I didn't have a chance to ask you
0: it's all good, man. It was great. Yeah. It was we had some friends over on Friday. Uh we, we hung out over the weekend on, on Saturday and yeah, it was just chill. This on lawn work on Sunday, spent time with the wife. It was awesome. Just uh you know, couldn't be uh couldn't be happier. It was a very, very good time. Do you like my background by the way? This is from I, it's our last very
1: strange. It's <laughs> us it's, like a, it's like a picture in picture thing going on there. I, I don't know.
0: The the longer I'm the longer I'm alive, the more I realize just how just strange I have problems. I have to go see somebody, I think. Anyway, yeah. let's get this the sucker started. So uh, for those that are on spaces, we are also on YouTube. I have it linked at the top of the space. You're more than welcome to stay with us in any way in any sort of platform that you'd like. It's also live stream on Twitter as well with video. So it's spaces video on Twitter and YouTube. And uh I'm curious to see which, which one you guys would like to join us on. We will have a lot of visual aids today, especially for the folks on YouTube. Matt has done a lot of work over the last few days to deep dive Master Plan Part Three, especially from an energy perspective. And we also had some news that dropped over the weekend uh, related to energy as well. So if Producer Wife, you wanna pull up the tweet, Um, related to the Shanghai announcement of Tesla Energy. So this is a breaking from Sawyer. Sawyer, I don't think, sleeps. This dude, every time there is a news article that comes out, this guy is like on it the second it breaks. Uh, Tesla will build a Megapack factory in Shanghai. Chinese state media outlet uh, Xinhua reported on Sunday. Uh, Construction will begin in Q3 and start production in the Q2 of 2024. Xinhua reported from a signing ceremony in Shanghai. The factory will initially produce 10,000 megapacks per year potentially generating over 20 billion dollars in annual revenue for tesla so what's what's your reaction here i know this is one that's been making the the waves a lot in the sort of tesla world what's what's your reaction here
1: yeah i mean it, it's good to see the the announcements start to come um so you know lathrop right now i think everybody's familiar with it it's got a um you know a, a 40 gigawatt hour production capacity they're not at that uh, level yet um, but then I think the exciting news was the 100 gigawatt hours that are going to be in Nevada, a portion of that is going to stationary storage. We don't know exactly how much, but it's like, okay, you can start seeing like the flywheel is, is really starting to go for, for Tesla Energy right now. Um, we've got a little bit of questions on the demand side in automotive right now. You know, I think reasonable people can kind of debate, you know, how, how real that issue is. Uh, but on the energy side, it's very clear. They've got way more demand than they can handle right now. So production absolutely is the is the limiting factor um, and I think a lot of people don't realize there is like by far the most amount of stationary storage that's deployed is deployed in China. Um, so it, it just makes sense to, you know, have a produce there from a cost uh, you know, perspective, but also just from a from a demand perspective. There's a, a huge amount of, of, of demand in, in China. So um, definitely good news. And this is where you start doing the math on it. And, you know, Sawyer noted 20 billion in revenue there just from that one site. Then you've got lathrop and then you've got you know uh the other sites that in, in giga nevada so you, you're in a scenario where in a couple of years you're gonna have over 100 gigawatt hours of uh revenue or of production capacity um and that's you, that's like 50 billion in revenue roughly um and so then you start okay well what margin are they gonna earn on that right now or once it's at scale? Um, you know, and and people have a couple different ideas of how big it might be, but you're probably talking like 15 billion, something in that range, you know, like just maybe, you know, 10 to 30, depending on how aggressive you want to be on your, your margin assumptions. Um, maybe even higher if you, if you believe like the 50% gross margin, you know, mega pack group, um, which is certainly possible. Uh, but just thinking about like, how, what would that do to the stock price? If that, this huge. Like massive new revenue opportunity comes and you say, okay, we're at hundred gigawatt hours at that point, but we're going to scale it 10 times to get to a terawatt hour. That's clearly the goal. Um, It's just, it's, I think it's, it's a really under overlooked catalyst that the market is just ignoring right now. Um, So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about this. I think it's just going to take time. Like, they need to prove out the margins. They need to, you know, really ramp up. And there is that delay, um, that lag of, you know, when they're actually produced versus when they're deployed and the revenues recognized. So, this is not like an overnight thing, but eventually the market's going to recognize that this is like huge and growing way faster than automotive. Uh, And I think it's going to be a very big deal.
0: So, I guess just some simple math for me, right? So, if it's, So 100 gigawatt hours, we're thinking uh, in, in a say two to five years, sometime within that range, somewhere between 10 to 30% margin. Assume, uh, I don't know, assume 15 to 20% margin as an example. So that's another, like you said, 15 to 20 billion dollars of uh, additional net income per year, roughly, right? Because it just flows to the yeah. bottom because of their operational leverage, right? And yeah. then, and so that essentially, uh, that essentially doubles the net income if you were to uh, uh, extrapolate out Q4 earnings over the year. right? So in like the next two to five years, this basically means if this 100 gigawatt hours of production comes to fruition and there's demand for it, Tesla essentially doubles uh, its net income. Is that a fair way of thinking about this?
1: Yeah, I mean, like to be fair, automotive is gonna continue ramping while this happens. Um, so like to the point where we actually see that revenue or that, that net income, um, it's not, it's still not going to be like more than half of, of Tesla, Tesla's overall net income, but it's really meaningful. And the way that I've been thinking about it lately, um, is like autos, the the whole Tesla business right now is trading at a PE of about 50, but the energy side should absolutely be trading at a much higher multiple because it's going to be growing faster. Uh, and there's less, you know, it's not as much of a, of a, you know, commodity right now there's severe supply constraints. So it really is kind of like a seller's market and it's growing so fast. So like a PE of hundred seems reasonable, maybe even on the, the conservative side. I mean, I could, I could argue for like a PE of 200 or something on, on the automotive side, given the, the growth prospects. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you start just doing the simple math of that, I mean, let's just, let's just say, assume it's 15 billion in revenue and you've got a hundred, uh, multiplier on that. Um, like that's, that's like a very real impact to the stock price, um, you know. So it's it's very exciting for sure.
0: Got it, got it. I had to uh, I muted myself because Cindy's like I can hear you breathing. <laughs> so sorry, y'all, in <laughs> YouTube. I worked out really hard today. My body's recovering. Okay, sorry. Apologies all for my breathing. Um, yeah. So that, that's a. I guess for me, it's like I have to continue seeing it grow over time. It it is becoming quite. Obvious that Tesla appears to be investing in that part of the business quite heavily. I think what's fascinating is and in the span of what two to three months, not even, we've had the Lathrop announcement, we've had the Mega Pack 2XL announcement, and we've had the Shanghai announcement and master plan part three, all in this sp- like just a kind of like a back-to-back to back to back. But yeah. it doesn't seem but the but the you know, we're gonna talk about the stock price. The stock price really hasn't done anything. Uh, I, that I can think of related to those announcements. It's sort of traded, you know. It it went from a hundred dollars to two hundred bucks, and sort of floating in this one seventy to two hundred range for the last uh, couple months. Sort of, tr- you know, just trading around. Of course, it's very heavily influenced by macro, but you know, energy, full self driving with version eleven. Like my personal experience with that has been quite eye opening and profound. Uh, but but it's it seems like there are things happening with the story that are not necessarily related to auto that you know is it do you think it's going on under the radar or do you think folks are really are really like capturing what's going on but they're not willing to assign a multiple to it because they want to see it first like how how do you justify that sort of reaction
1: well like even the bulls you know a year ago um just discounted energy because one they don't know how to think about it because it you know very complex and and this is new like like stationary storage is like a brand new industry that hasn't been around before so it's not like you know they started like a pharmaceutical business and so then you can just like use that framework to understand what they're doing like this is this is really a brand new industry um you know there are some kind of analogs in the in the energy space but like you've certainly never had any (laughs) any company doing what tesla's doing before i was kind of laughing to myself like uh, i wanted to talk to drew dixon about you know, cause he always compares Tesla to all, all the auto companies. And I'm like, mm-hmm. imagine if GM put out the master plan part three of like how to fully decarbonize everything and like, went into <laughs> yeah. the, like the energy sector in great detail, and all this stuff It's just like, no, like they're not, you like, tell me
0: Mary Barrow Wouldn't do that. Come on, Matt, come <laughs> on, bro. Give her some credit. Jeez. Yeah,
1: she, yeah, maybe she did do it. I, I bet she put <laughs> this together and, and just gave it to Elon, um, but no, so, um, I forget where I was going with that, but Oh, on the, on the legacy um, automaker set well, no, on, on the, on like the valuation side. Mm. So I think like, first of all, it's historically been completely rounding error. So it's been, you know, call it 10% of the overall revenue, but at a 0% gross margin. So the easiest thing to do is to say, okay, well, even if they scale a hundred times, and even if I assume they can get to like a 5% net margin, it's still meaningless. And so just ignore energy. And that was like, everybody had that approach to it. Um, and frankly, I've been surprised at the at the pricing power that they've been able to realize. Like, I was never as bullish on stationary storage, you know, like call it three years ago, uh, as it turns out that that this market is is uh, like developing into. It is absolutely massive. Um, Berkeley, there's the Lawrence Berkeley National Labs does this study every year about like the the growth in interconnection queues. I tweeted about it uh, maybe last Friday or something and they just released their latest version of the study and like what you can see there's two trends like it basically tracks how many um what which technology types are going into the interconnection queue so it's a it's a way of gauging like what future projects will be added to the uh, to the grid so uh you know coal solar storage wind you know all those things natural gas um and what you see is like solar is just like an absolute skyrocket mm-hmm. up wind is kind of flatlining but then battery storage is also just like like I' hundred x in five years, I don't I don't know something just absolutely massive. So I kind of assumed it would you know like the storage would grow a little bit, but like in the reality, um, energy players are uh, finding that storage is way more economical than I thought it would be. And so it's just like the, the growth is absolutely skyrocketed. Uh, and a lot of these projects are actually cited with solar now, which is which is really interesting
0: what about the drop in lithium prices as of late too do you think that has anything to do with this sort of development or do you do, do you see those two things as separate now, and, and go ahead.
1: so the the interconnection queue I mean first of all that's a good thing for batteries and, and for Tesla obviously um you know I think the lithium price is like 10x in in a year or something like that it was it was you know kind of crazy um so it certainly helps um uh you know the economics of these projects that lithium is not you know it's like half as as high as it was maybe six months ago at the peak. Um, So that's certainly good news, but like these interconnection processes typically take like two to four years, somewhere in that range. So like these are long-term plans. Uh, A lot of cases they're also done by uh, utilities who ultimately just pass the costs on. So like, you know, uh, for some subset of of like developers, uh, certainly like more projects will pencil now that, you know, lithium prices have come down. But like, I think the, the bigger impact is the IRA um, investment tax credit and that sort of thing. Mm. I mean, that's, that, that's a huge catalyst, actually. And you're only now starting to see that in kind of the interconnection queue.
0: How um how are you thinking about that now that Tesla has announced some additional uh, battery storage projects? So we know the Shanghai Project obviously should not be able to take advantage of this tax credit, obviously, because that's uh, U.S. centric. But with Lathrop and Nevada that's uh so like your math says what what percentage of that 100 gigawatt hours would reside in the states is that 50 gigawatt hours like what's what's the math
1: yeah i think i think we assumed um so i did a very detailed report uh with bradford ferguson uh kind of laying out all those assumptions i don't remember everything uh exactly offhand but i i want to say we assumed slightly less than 50 percent of the kind of long-term uh output would would be in in the u.s um and in fact it may, more of it might be in in china um you know just based on on how large that market is um it. it's yeah it's it's a huge quantity but the, so the credit is huge
0: assume assume 35 40 billion right Assume 30 billion of that assume 30 gigawatt hours of that 100 gigawatt hours is in the us what what would be the um the ira impact on that 30 gigawatt hours like roughly
1: well so um it's, it, it depends because um, Lathrop, for example, is using Chinese cells. So it only gets a $10 per kilowatt hour credit in the I IRA see. because they're, you know, they're not manufacturing the cells there. They're putting it into, not a pack essentially, but you still get the $10 credit for putting it into a pack or putting it into whatever its final form factor is. Um, so like the 40, maybe the math would be the 40 gigawatt hours at Lathrop uh, once that's fully ramped. Um, at ten dollars, I think that's four hundred million. Uh, I believe that's how that that math checks out. And then, but like, think of um of Nevada, Giga Nevada. So I think they they said that they were spending like three billion dollars or something like that to, to upgrade the plant. Um, but those cells, whether they're used in automotive or stationary storage, those are forty six eighty cells made in the U S. Um, so like they're going to get the full uh forty five dollar per kilowatt hour credit. So that's that's four and a half billion a year Damn. just on the credit. Like Damn. how is Wall Street ignoring that? Like, I don't understand. It's such a massive quantity. It's all right there out, out in the open. Um, like they will get regardless, like, even if they made no money just selling the like the, the batteries at all, they still get that credit. Um, so like I don't know. This it's just kind of bizarre to me. And, and plus they're 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 gonna do more at um uh, at Giga Texas too, as is, is they're ramping that. So, I mean, the actual number is going to be higher than that, and presumably, uh, you know, they'll they'll increase capacity at Lathrop and uh, Bradford's done some digging. I think he's actually publishing a, a video today about his findings at Lathrop, and um, there's a a reasonable um, belief that Lathrop's capacity might be increasing too. So. Like these, it's, I've been trying to contrast it lately with like how everybody backs out the, the reg credits on the automotive side. Cause it's like, yeah, those are like dwindling and eventually they're going to go to zero. And so like, you've got to back them out of the automotive gross margin. This is like the opposite. These are, these are only going to grow every year. And like, we're talking about four and a half billion of like very high visibility credits. And that number is going to increase over the next 10 years until this, this credit phases out in 2032, I think it is. Wow. So like, it's meaningful
0: wild how are you thinking so so one one of the thoughts that went through my mind with the recent tesla price decreases you know so we know they've dropped on our average somewhere between 3 to 5% on friday with the new round of price decreases how much of the energy ramp and these ira tax credits do you think are an offsetting force for the profitability on the car side which will still enable tesla to keep a certain operating margin Say above fifteen percent to twenty percent, they take a hit on the gross margin side for the car, but they're utilizing the energy and the IRA growth to fund that, and and it basically essentially eat everyone's lunch on the auto side. Have you thought about that dynamic? Like, what is could that be playing out today?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's very clear they're they're trying to you know Elon even tweeted about this over the weekend that you know like the affordability is is, is like the thing that they're they're really trying to optimize for. And like, when you were doing the math a year ago or something, it was like, oh, like a Tesla is like comparable to a Camry or, or whatever at the time. And now it's like got to be way cheaper. I, I, I haven't seen the, so the latest that you've done.
0: I sat down and I did a, a very quick math of the so the Model Y, the new standard range that they released on the on the uh, configurator, the uh, forty five, what is a forty nine thousand mm-hmm. uh, dollar standard range model, two hundred eighty miles. So that one over the over, over eight year ownership with fuel maintenance buying the car um at a 6% interest rate or whatever the 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 car uh, the cost of the car of the model Y over 8 years is cheaper than a RAV4 the Toyota RAV4 which is like you know not not counting insurance but insurance is so highly var- you know var- variable yeah. depending on the state and the person and who you're choosing right as your provider so but we're already at a place where a standard range model Y, and I was gonna do a video about this sometime this week to actually break down the math for everybody, is uh, is a thousand dollars cheaper over eight years than a Rav Four, so it you know we're we're getting there. So we're already at that point. But then we've had this sort of very wide ranging discussion on Twitter about, well, should Tesla market this? <laughs> hey, like like this is going on now. Uh, is yeah. is everyone aware that needs to be aware about this thing, and you know. They are clearly price competitive, and and they're potentially utilizing the energy business and the IRA to fund that project to really become just by far the lowest cost per mile solution, even before a compact car is launched and before the pickup truck is launched. Right for the pickup truck market, I don't know. It's it's just a weird it's a weird time in in the Tesla world where now this company seems to be it seems to be beco- it, it's becoming the cheapest uh, car company to afford. You know, like as far as like the yeah. cheapest car to afford bar none. And I don't know. I don't know if folks are yeah. well, used and, to that dynamic.
1: Like you, you didn't even factor in the residual value. I mean, imagine you get to 150,000 miles on both vehicles. What's your RAV4 worth and how many more miles can it physically go? And what's, what's your Model Y going to be worth and, and how many more miles can it go? And And I think if you do the math on that and assume, I don't know, a 300,000 mile useful life, which we know... For sure, uh, Mr. Green in, in Europe and and a lot of others that have operated fleets of these know that they can operate well longer than just 300,000 miles even. So, right, like, if you start like adding another useful life on the back of of your economic you know uh, calculation, um, like you've essentially already made your your money, like you the economics pencil with one lifetime and then you get a whole other one on the back end. It's just. It's um, it's it's so funny to me, to, like to see people that are still arguing that like EVs are a craze or that like they're just never they're too expensive or whatever. Because this is like my point. Emmett and I have been ranting about this lately. That like, like people don't know. Like these these are some kind of basic facts that all of us in our little Tesla Twitter bubble are very well aware of. Like the safety and of the value and uh, you know, useful life and and all that that type of thing. But The vast majority of people don't live in this in this circle and are not aware of a lot of these things. So I I really think, oh, Florian's in the in the chat. Florian operates Mister Green. uh, Oh, nice! The founder of that. Uh, They've got I think 4,500 Teslas. Um, And yeah, they're finding they can just like get a vehicle off a lease and then start another lease. So like their their bank won't like finance (laughs) two leases for them when they're purchasing the cars. But they're just finding they can get. they have over a thousand Teslas on the road, which are more than seven years old. That's crazy. That's crazy. So yeah, they, I mean, there's just real-world evidence that that these things have a much higher useful life than banks are willing to finance for, or that customers are, are really expecting. So
0: yeah, um, we could deep dive the hell out of that topic, but I figure maybe maybe we should we should shift gears to the master plan sort of discussion for energy. Um, unless you want to keep going on this topic, but no, there's just no, so yeah, much to we, hit. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I've got a hour and a half kind of hard stop uh, okay. after this so two hours total so uh probably given how dense this, <laughs> this sucker <laughs> is it's probably probably worth going into uh, let's but, do you know, it I, I warned you we might have to do this in two parts because it's, uh, it's a good. lot here and i want to try to kind of add some context where i can because this is a lot of the comments i've seen are people are kind of assuming that it's about like tesla scaling batteries and that sort of thing and that but that's really only a small part of it this this goes way bigger into industrial processes and other stuff that tesla isn't touching and that i don't expect Tesla will touch so i want to try to create as much context around that uh as i can with you know, with this conversation
0: fantastic yeah thank you so thank you thank you so much for putting that work over the weekend for those on spaces matt literally has a uh the master plan part three printed out and he's got tabs on there he's got chicken chicken writing on there you know chicken scratch and all this stuff so chicken oh my God. <laughs> writing I, I should just stop using words i didn't even have uh, to say anything you just, you <laughs> i was going to say the other your... chicken thing <laughs> but i'm like you know what <laughs> i already ragged on him enough since
1: when are you uh like censoring your own speech that's, that's very i know visual.
0: who knows maybe i'm just tired from the gym or something my brain's fried already just kidding all right uh so let's do this let's pull up master plan three on the screen producer wife and then Matt, I'll let you sort of maybe drive us on what you want to hit first. Sure. I'll ask questions as as they come up. Um all right. And then yeah. So the floor is yours.
1: All right. So yeah, I mean we can we can probably just scroll to the executive summary on on page 3 and, and you know before we we dive into any of the um you know details. Sorry.
0: One second. Uh so click on read master plan 3 on that link right there. And then you'll get into the document. Sorry Matt, go ahead.
1: No, that's all right. Um, you know, I'm going to call out some stuff that I think is either wrong or is unlikely to happen um, or, you know, whatever. And like, I want this to try to be educational. And so like, uh, just at the outset, I want to say that like, I agree with like 99% of what's in here. I think this is like the most thoughtful plan I've ever seen on how to actually decarbonize the world. Um, so if I'm throwing criticisms out there, just like, no, it's in the context of trying to provide um, you know visibility into what the issues are and why some things might not happen that, that they've outlined here. Um, so just overall, this is like a phenomenal document. And I just wanted to kind of, you know, couch that at, at the beginning that, uh, I am going to kind of critique some parts of it, but, uh, it's, it's really, you know, it's nitpicking for sure. Um, so the executive summary, uh, actually probably don't need to go there. Maybe, uh, let's start on, on what I think, uh, you, you found so interesting was on uh, page four, um, which was that um, oh yeah the um, was it the the flows of, of the different where the energy goes and you can see how much of it goes to, to waste heat. Uh, this is something that I've just you know taken for granted because you know I've been aware of this for like a decade. Um that we, we waste the vast majority of the fuel we use. And the same thing happens on like your your car too. Like if you you like so much energy is put into the oil, um, like to process it into gasoline. And then that gasoline is like, not a very, um, not very much of that actually gets, uh, put into forward motion. Um, it's like, actually, this is one of the reasons I was optimistic on electric vehicles, uh, before I was a bull on Tesla. I just, like, I, I thought it was so dumb like (laughs) that we would burn all this fuel and then just like, lose all that momentum that you'd build up from a, from a physics perspective, just by like using, uh, disc brakes. So, um, just, it's just, I think opening to a lot of people who have maybe haven't seen this before, just how much heat we lose. Um, so yeah, this, this is interesting. I don't know. Did anything stick out to this to you? I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, it was really just how much energy gets, gets pulled out of of the ground essentially and how much gets wasted. So for those that are on spaces, just to kind of give you guys a, a description of the visual, if you want to read along with us, this is on page uh, four of the master plan, Tesla's master plan, part three, one hundred and thirty-three petawatt hours, which is what a million kilowatts? Is that no. the conversion? A billion <laughs> no, kilowatts? So, um, the uh,
1: kilowatt hour is uh, so a thousand kilowatt hours is a megawatt hour. It's a thousand. A so thousand megawatt hours is a gigawatt hour. Yeah. A thousand gigawatt hours is a terawatt hour. Oh shit. And a million terawatt hours is a petawatt hour. So, I don't know, it's so it's a quadrillion.
0: Whatever that no. It's it's, it's it's a lot. It's 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 a lot of uh, it's a lot of Tesla batteries. <laughs> a lot of them. And uh so there's 133 petawatt hours per year that's that's drawn out of the ground from fossil fuels and 31 petawatt hours per year that's drawn out of the ground from renewables or, you know, the sky or whatever, biomass. And then 105 petawatt hours of that after it goes through all the, you know, all the things that we use it for is wasted heat. So 66% of all energy that's, let's say, let's say captured is wasted through heat. Is Is that a correct way of summarizing that, Matt?
1: Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely is. and It I sounds
0: mean, crazy. I, like, how is that even possible? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's because, like, when you burn something, it creates cheese. And so, like, you, you burn it, um, like, even in a, in a gas turbine. A gas turbine is, is maybe a good example to, to show how this, this works. So, um, like, r- literally the, the the gas turbines, tur- some people say turbines in the Midwest. Other people say that's a weird way to say you it. You're racist, bro. I don't know. <laughs> call it whatever you want to. But uh, essentially... Um, the same technology, uh, there's actually two different types. There's a frame unit and an aero derivative. But, um, if you think of like the, the jet engines that are used in an airplane, um, those same, uh, engines are, can be modified, uh, to run on natural gas. And essentially what you're doing with the jet engine is just like spinning incredibly fast so that you can compress the air to, you know, move the thing. That's essentially how you make electricity too, is like, you want to move a rotor, um, you know, around, um, uh, like a, a stator to, to create electricity, just a big magnet. Um, so, so that's what they, they do. They take that same kind of, um, uh, engine, they fill it with, or well, they, they run it on natural gas and then, uh, but a lot of that to, to, uh, <laughs> sorry, word pooping here, um, it's all um, creating electricity, uh, just by spinning the rotor. Well, but then you've got like all the exhaust that comes off of the, uh, off of that engine. And there are some natural gas plants that use that waste heat as another uh, input. So you can actually um, create steam if you attach these like massive, they're probably like eight-story structures to it. It's called a heat recovery steam generator. So um, essentially, it's like a whole other power plant that you can use um, with that waste heat to spin a steam turbine. So then that that type of power plant is more efficient, obviously, because you're using the same amount of natural gas just to you know, create your electricity from the original, you know, rotor, but then you can create a whole steam turbine on, on the, on the back end of it, essentially just using the waste product. It's like a, a
0: a, it's like a turbocharger in a car basically. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: And you can even, you can even inject more natural gas into that heat recovery steam generator to make it even, you know, get a a higher temperature and, and, uh, you can achieve a higher output that way. So it's like, but that's way more capital expense, uh, intensive to create one of those. It's called, a com- um, uh, combined cycle plant that, that ha- uses that, that waste heat. So like a lot of places just don't do that. Um, cause it's like, it's e- way easier to set up if you don't have to do that. Um, so it's like, like, that's one example where there's a huge amount of waste heat that even can be used by there. Um, in most cases is not. Um, and even when you are using that heat recovery steam generator, you're still like losing a ton of efficiency. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a wild point to just think of how much energy we're wasting.
0: Insane. Yeah. That was the only real, really the only thing I had on that page, uh, that, that stuck out to me. Uh, okay. Yeah.
1: Um, so yeah, I guess maybe we can go on to the, the next page then. So essentially, um, you know, this, they've got this, this plan to eliminate fossil fuels. Um, and so they say uh, that, this, that this plan does not address sequestering carbon dioxide emitted over the past century of fossil fuel combustion um, beyond direct air capture required for synthetic fuel generation. So I thought that was kind of an interesting note just about the um, overall. And where is that here? That's in the, the fourth paragraph um, towards the bottom. Um, so just as a kind of high level overview of what Tesla did and what their methodology is, they're saying, Uh, at at a high level, what what is this document? They are trying to say, how can we get rid of fossil fuels in all of their applications? So not only, you know, for like uh, the grid, but also for uh, airplanes and boats and everything. Um, So it's a a huge amount of, um, (laughs) it's hugely ambitious in that they're not just like sticking with, you know, electrifying the grid and that's it. They're saying, okay, how can we do this in a carbon neutral way? So there are some parts you'll see, um, where like for, for synthetic jet fuel, um, they actually need carbon as an input. Like if you're going to, um, I forget what the, the chemical compound is that uh, uses it, but they need to actually, um, synthesize carbon. I'm not a chemist, so I'm going to screw this up, but with like hydrogen and oxygen and stuff to, to make these synthetic biofuels. But they're doing that, uh, in a way by sequestering, uh, carbon dioxide from like a biomass plant, for example, or, um, or, or some other, uh, sources or using direct air capture, I think is actually the, the way that they proposed in here. Um, so they're accounting for that. Um, and if you have that technology, presumably you could also scale it up to uh, kind of reverse historic carbon emissions. Uh, so it's kind of interesting.
0: So even if it's related to say a, um, traditional, a carbon related or fossil fuel related industry. They're still sort of Tesla saying we still recognize that there's going to be a need for these types of processes in the future, but we still need to figure out how to execute that process in a way that's as efficient as humanly possible. And it just so happens that the most efficient way of doing that is by being sustainable and using renewable energy. Is that a fair way of summarizing that?
1: Well, I I don't know that I would say that the, the, it's like the most efficient, you know, I think a lot of these things, this is almost like an academic paper. So a lot of the technologies either don't exist or are not economical right now. So that's one of the challenges with this stuff is, um, to do this plan, like a lot of the stuff, and and there's one area in particular, I want to kind of dive into that we'll, we'll do in a minute, but, um, like I'm, I'm skeptical that some of this stuff will be economical. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll, you know, get into it in, in a minute. But they've done a good job of kind of like um, showing the overall cost structure, and so the, the plan as a whole is economical. Like, like what Elon said, you know, you can essentially do this and not do all the oil and gas mining and and refining and and you know, combusting that we're doing, and it's going to be cheaper. And like for the most part, he's right. Um, they're just, but the, the devil's in the details, right? Like electrifying stuff like on the same page, we'd like, you can see the efficiency ratio between ice cars and EVs. And so like, very obviously, there's some low hanging fruit there, that's going to be way more uh, cost effective. But then there's other areas uh, that are <laughs> going to be like, way more, uh, like, expensive, or will require like, worse performance than like, um, uh, the, the fossil fuel alternative. So I, I suspect that there's going to be pockets uh, that don't adopt just because, it, you know, even though you can do it in theory, people it just won't be economical.
0: So the what, the worst performance is that due to lack of scale, or just because the technology is just outright less efficient.
1: Um, so both probably. I mean, the the, the one example that's that's probably the 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 most uh, significant is like for um, think of the. Uh, what are they called the ultra-large container vessels, like the like the massive shipping vessels. The containers? Those, yeah, the shipping containers. Like those are like one, obviously just gigantic, but they use a really nasty fuel. It's um I forget the name of it, but it's it's essentially like a sludgy byproduct of oil processing. So like you, you process oil to get gasoline and all the different, you know, um things that you need. And there's like this gross sludge that's kind of left over. And that's what a lot of these um uh, these, these like large transport vehicles use. Uh, so I did the math and and so I won't go into all the detail into it. Um, but essentially it's like, you'd have to charge a a ship going from Shanghai to LA. I don't know, several times along the, along the way. And Mm. then you'd have like a ton of batteries, which hurts the weight. And so it's like, realistically, like there are just some constraints like that where like, I, I think, you know, we may just have some certain pockets that remain on fuels for fossil fuels for longer than we may like just because it's uh you know not ideal
0: i see okay i'll, I'll let you keep going I'll say, yeah
1: okay. okay so yeah moving on uh, let me see what we have next here
0: there's so many different ways i could take this but i know this would take like literally 10 hours i'm gonna let you do your thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah and i, I tend to so drone on too, so it can it can be a little it's bit rough
0: drone on um, come on bro charging on curve
1: Sorry, let me just look at that. I think we can skip that one. Okay, actually, uh, let's talk about this. So on on page six, there's just a little note at the at the bottom of that page, which I think is pretty interesting. It says global electrification of the transportation sector eliminates 28 petawatt hours per year of fossil fuel use, and applying the four times EV efficiency factor, this creates seven petawatt hours per year of additional electric demand. Uh, so this is one of the things that we'll, we'll get into in in a minute too. But like, essentially, this this plan, like they're tracking how much. Uh, energy they need to replace in each little pocket that that they talk about in each of the little sectors of this report, and then they're just kind of adding up. Okay, we need like way more electricity, and so even though it's more efficient, this plan calls for a absolutely massive <laughs> amount of, of new electricity. Um, so it's uh, it's worth keeping in mind that this is this is a very very ambitious plan. Uh, it's not just like yeah, it's it's incredibly ambitious, and it would really change the way that uh, our whole energy. Economy would work, and so it's um, <laughs> it'll be interesting for sure. Can I read that um, back
0: to you so I make sure I understand this? So, so what this is saying is that right now, if you're you, if you are to think of the fossil fuel, so if the fossil fuel part of transportation, it, it, it's about 28 petawatt hours per year right now, and if we're going full electric vehicle or full electric with the uh, with the transportation sector. Well, that given that EVs are four times more efficient, then it becomes seven pedal wear hours instead of twenty eight. Is that the right correct way of thinking about that? Just want to make sure I understand that.
1: Um, I'm sorry. Can you say that one more time? I was looking at the comments. Somebody said that my math was wrong on something. So, sorry oh, okay. about that. it's all
0: right. <laughs> Matt's wrong at, at everything basically. That's I know. I <laughs> yeah, I, I
1: probably, I'm sure I will get a couple things wrong here and. That's- <laughs> Yeah, that's all
0: right. And this is part of part of the process too. So if y'all f- think there's something that we should be looking at additionally, I mean this is an open forum. So do do feel free to, to yeah, question Matt million, and everything.
1: A million terawatt hours is a PETA, and they're saying that's not correct. So I I don't know what the actual number is, but it's a it's a huge amount of it's a lot <laughs> of okay. electricity. No problem. Um, so
0: bring that page up again, Producer Wife. Let's look at the last line again. Uh so global electrification of the transportation sector eliminates twenty-eight petawatt hours per year. Of fossil fuel use and applying the four times EV efficiency factor is that yeah. creates about seven or minus seven. That's about seven.
1: No, it's about seven. Yeah. So okay, this got is it. this is incremental because yeah, yeah. you're you're you you are eliminating the fossil fuel use, but then you're adding to the electric use. So this whole plan is like I see. This there's this theme that's been around in the energy industry for, for a long time. It's, it's just, it, it's basically like a catchphrase. It's like electrify everything. Cause if you, if you electrify everything, then if, if you decarbonize the grid, then you've like solved the whole problem. Right? So you want to electrify as many things as possible, even if they're I running see. on coal. Um, because then the problem of like switching, switching like coal plants out to, you know, wind and solar is a lot easier than, um, <laughs> you know, like getting transitioning from ice to EV, for example, or, or whatever the, the fossil fuel application is. So like the first step is electrify everything. And then the second step is is um, move the grid to, to pure renewables. Got
0: it. Okay. Got it. So you're, you're basically shifting, you're taking out the 28 petawatt hours from the fossil fuel and you're plopping it on the electrical grid essentially. And that's yeah. going to call for an additional seven. Okay, yep. got it. So yep. can we, real quick, just 30 seconds, can you scroll back up to page four for me? Um, is there, okay, so ele- electricity generation, right? It's yeah. uh, 77 petawatt hours of it. And then, so it's it's hard to tell how much of it is wasted. It's like 60% of it is wasted almost. It's just looking at that graph. Yeah. So I'm looking at the yellow bar. So half is what, 30, 30, 37, call it 40, uh, ish. So let's say 30 of it is legitimate. Uh, it goes, it's actual useful. So what that's saying, essentially, it's that we need an additional seven usable of the 30 that we're generating. So it'd be like an additional um, what? What is that? 30%. So the, the electricity grid essentially has to grow by 30% globally to be able to support the transition to EVs. Is that a correct way of, like, I'm just kind of cons- trying to conceptualize this.
1: Um. Yeah, well so like it 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 goes um sector by sector. So so to do your to get the extra what was it 7.7 I think they said oh, for so the three right there.
0: Okay. I see. Well, it. Thir- so there's a 33.7 for transportation. Okay. For transportation.
1: Um right. yeah, so like yeah, you 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 essentially um need to grow the whole <laughs> the whole grid. The, the think of that yellow bar though, like the yellow bar is going to grow to like take over all of those um Factors and actually, th- there's a there's like an updated version of it uh, t- towards the back of the report. Let me see if I can find it. Because rather than,
0: uh, let's see, where is it? Uh, it's like page twenty nine or something, I think. Last time I was looking at it. Because the the, the whole. Minor. Yeah. Bear with us, folks. Sorry. This is how how prepared we are.
1: <laughs> well, I actually am prepared. and It's you still. <laughs> it's Sorry. Struggle through this thing. <laughs> I didn't that's memorize how complex the this thing numbers. is. I guess that's my downfall.
0: Man, come on, bro. You had all this time. You had this a holiday weekend to memorize the entire master plan and you couldn't fail. Come on, bro. I'm looking for it myself here. So let's see. Uh, page. Da, 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 da. And, OK, page 21.
1: 21.
0: OK, it's further up than I thought. For everybody who's uh, reading, reading uh, with us, along with us. Uh, producer wife pulled it up.
1: OK. So, yeah, you got, you're going from, let's see, I'll pull up on my end, the old one.
0: There, so it's, so it's basically going oh. to 13.8 for transportation, we're 33 to, to 13.
1: Yep, so so you're getting some efficiency gains there. Um, the, the interesting thing is they call it useful work and heat, so there is still going to be a little bit of, you know, heat loss and and that sort of thing. Oh, no, actually never mind. Waste heat is, is down there at the bottom. You can see how tiny that sliver is. Um, you know, the, the reason heats in there is because some of the applications are actually for heating, um, which is the the heat pump section, which we'll get into. So yeah, the, the overall electricity generation, uh, you, you go from 77.7, uh, petawatt hours, I think to 99.4. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's got increase. Um, but you know you're 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 actually getting a lot more uh, usefulness out of it because um, you're not <laughs> you're avoiding all the the waste essentially. So makes perfect anyway. sense. And then thirty sure. of
0: it goes curtailed, is stored on in batteries. On, the, on there's a, this new one, right? The 20, 29.8 with the green on the right. That's the stuff that would go into batteries. No. That's elect. No, okay. Nope. Should, no, we'll we'll get
1: that. into that in a minute. Um, it's. Actually, so I'm just gonna shut up. Fascinating. <laughs> so that's i I'll, I'll touch, I'll touch on that now since you brought it up. Um, sorry, that's curtailed renewables. So this is something that I've been saying for a long time that I never really heard anybody else saying, um, that, um, essentially the most economical, um, situation, uh, if, if you're looking at like the whole grid and like renewables are inherently intermittent, right? Like the sun doesn't always shine, the windows aren't always, blow. we know that. So that makes matching demand with supply very difficult. And that's why you have batteries, but even with batteries, um, you sometimes have just so much renewable generation, um, especially in like spring and summer, that like you have to curtail it. And curta- curtail is essentially like wasted. So like in the wind plants that I used to manage, they would literally just angle the blades a certain way to get them out of the wind. And so if prices were you know negative forty dollars, it's like I don't want to have to actually pay to to uh, generate electricity. So they just you know curtail. They don't they don't make the electricity. Um, you know in solar you can you can dump dump the solar as well. Um, so it's just, it's, it's, in order to most economically build the whole system, uh, there will be wasted electricity generation. Um, but I think that's actually really interesting because uh, you can imagine there might be some very um, thrifty entrepreneurs who come along and find use cases for all that. I mean, if some, somebody's basically saying, I'm dumping 29.8 petawatt hours of electricity. If you would like to, have some of this for free or for like, you know, a very small fraction of, of the, the normal cost, uh. then you can, you, uh, then you can do that. So like, there's already some of that, um, like with locating uh, data system, uh, 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 data centers, um, where they can be turned on or off depending on how economic the energy is, because energy is a huge input cost into compute power generally. So if you can kind of turn on and off compute, then, then you can do that. Some people have proposed doing that, like with Bitcoin, for example, like putting the ASICs uh, where you can mine Bitcoin only with, you know, like wasted energy. I don't think that actually works because um, those systems can't be cycled on and off. But there will be some use cases for that that I think we can't even imagine right now. Uh, but what this is saying is even if you just waste that that pretty substantial uh, amount of electricity, um, that's still like the most economical grid. So I, I find that pretty interesting.
0: Holy moly. So, so, so if I total up the energy on the right, that's about say a hundred and what is 110 ish petawatt hours. So we're saying in the, even under this scenario, about 25 to 30% of it will be wasted, not because of heat, but because it has to literally, there's too much being generated. There's no use for yeah. it. So we throw yeah. it out.
1: The, the way that Tesla did this, um analysis was fantastic so they, they took hourly data um across the entire united states uh and just looked at okay how much um like at, during this one particular hour what would the the cost of electricity be um and like what's demand what is supply and they match that with like you know solar and uh wind generating profiles and there's gonna be sometimes when there's you know just too much supply um versus the demand at that time point. And so then you just you curtail that. Yeah. So it is kind of like the the waste heat in the in the previous example, in that it's like a it's too much of something that you're essentially just dumping. But like this is a phenomenal problem to have because unlike waste heat, which is just like a total loss, you can actually have economic economically useful stuff that uh, takes advantage of free energy essentially because this is this is 29.8 petawatt hours of 100% free energy if anybody wants it it's up for grabs um, so it's, wow. it's really I- exciting I think
0: holy moly so and if I can just look at one more thing and then I'll let you go so if, if, if like keep going if we go back to page four uh, real quick producer wife so if, if look at the existing at the existing grid so 29 petawatt hours is equivalent to like it's more than the residential demand basically
1: yeah wow
0: so we would curtail we would basically dump as much energy under this new system than the global demand for residential energy
1: yep it's massive um and they get into it in 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 somewhere in here um (laughs) but like the the current curtailment i think in in california which which does have this this problem um I think today, actually, uh, I tweeted something today about the, um, like the duck curve. It's like kind of perfect weather for the duck curve, where all this solar is being used, and it's pretty much more than than demand. So essentially, almost all of the the generation in California today um, is is like met by these renewable resources. And so there actually will be some curtailment of those, I'm sure. Um, but that the the amount of times that that happens, I think in California, which is on the high end, of like places that have this problem is somewhere in the neighborhood of like 4% I think. Um Tessa has the number in here somewhere but we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. And the um but this plan calls for increasing that to around 35% I, I believe of the of the total uh renewable generation will be curtailed. So essentially you're overbuilding your generating capacity, you're charging your batteries when you can, but even like with those constraints, they're going to dump a bunch just because, in order to have all the energy that you need for those peak moments, you have to overbuild a little bit. But this is this is great. Like I've been advocating for this for a long time that like the most cost effective way to decarbonize is to overbuild solar, which is so cheap. It's like by far the cheapest form of electricity generation. Um, so if you just build slightly more solar than you need um, and have a battery, then you can uh, pretty economically. Um, you know, decarbonize the, the grid or your house or whatever. Uh you wow. feel like you could it's a like if you thought about a do, about doing it in your own house, you could go off grid if you overbuilt your solar large enough and had a big enough battery.
0: Wow. And and of course that's more economical because those systems basically become static. The only thing you have to sort of create raw materials for is not just, you know, you're not digging up fossil fuels or whatever to just waste into the atmosphere. You're just replacing the solar panels when they need to, and then these are static things that just sit there, and you have an capacity, and so you're better off having too much than too little. And that's why it works so well. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and I think a lot of people don't understand how expensive the O&M component, uh, uh, the operations and maintenance component of, of a, a traditional power plant is. Um, but like all, most of the plants that I used to work with would have a staff, like the wind farm that I managed was 105 megawatts. One of the wind farms was 105 megawatts, had four full-time staff. Another one was 525 megawatts. They had like 28 people on staff. Um, a lot of the, like, a even a, a 40 megawatt biomass plant that I managed had to be managed like day and night, um, two shifts, 28 full-time employees. Um, million, multi-million dollar budgets for you know maintenance. They had to take the plant down every couple, uh, well, twice a year at a minimum to do to do maintenance on this stuff. Like it's it's very expensive to run a power plant, and, and you contrast that with solar, which has no moving parts and just sits there. It's like it's very obvious that that's going to win out.
0: Crazy. All right, take it. Okay,
1: let's move on. So um, maybe the the next one. To go to is, let's see, lost my spot here. Um, okay, Ooh, so, so let's move to, to, sl- to page seven. Um, so we're moving out of transportation now. So we were talking about, you know, electrifying the transportation grid by you know, switching everything to EVs, essentially. Now we're talking about um, heat pumps. So we're replacing your gas heater or industrial processes which use heat. So that's what this section is about. Um, So, you know, this is just kind of a a diagram, um, essentially showing um, how heat pumps are way more um, effective, essentially, uh, at creating um, heat than uh, your typical furnaces. Um, So we don't need to spend too much time on that, but I think it's probably helpful context to to know that, okay, there's electrifying the transportation industry. Now we're moving on to this whole other industry uh, of heat pumps, which is, you know, kind of up Tesla's skill set as well. Um so maybe let's move on to s- slide 9 which goes into this a little bit more uh <laughs> in a little bit more of a complicated manner. Um so like heating your house with a heat pump is is like relatively straightforward. Um you know getting things to um get to like 70 or 80 degrees or even like heating water up to I don't know 120 degrees or something like that very simple to do and, and straightforward. Um, but what this, uh, and th- this chart shows you that at lower temperatures, the COP stands for coefficient of performance. Essentially it's, it's more efficient at, at lower heat outputs that you need. So as you get to 200 degrees C, you're only at a, a, a coefficient of performance of 1.5. So it's, it's really not very efficient, but then. So lower are, is worse. It's lower less is worse. Yep. Yep. Um, and so what this is saying is like at the, the top, you can see there that industrial processes up to 200 degrees C, such as food, paper, textiles, and uh, wood industries can benefit from, from heat pumps. So you can do a lot of industrial processes just with heat pumps, but then once you go over 200 C, um, that becomes insufficient. So you need um, some other method for uh, you know handling those higher temperature um, industrial applications which need heating. And so that's where... It says that next section, section four there at the bottom is electrify, high temperature, heat delivery and hydrogen production. Um, so this is getting into uh, it says they're like making steel, making chemicals, fertilizers and cement um, in order to like handle those industrial processes. We can go on to the, the next page. Um, you need a lot of times to get to like fourteen hundred degrees Celsius or, or even up to two thousand. Um, so this, this chart in the middle uh, is essentially looking at what are the different fluids that you can heat in order to um, you know deliver uh, different types of, of uh, like production processes. So like if you heat water into steam, uh, you can, or, yeah, water into steam with electricity as the input, um, like you can use that for a lot of the stuff that we talked about on the, the previous page. So like food processing, paper production, um, like the, there's frankly a lot of overlap with the, um, the heat pump scenarios there even uh, but essentially like water cannot be a, a good agent for much higher temperatures um so molten salt is another one though you can actually take salt a lot of people have tried to, to use salt as a battery actually there's some interesting startups in this space um, but you can heat up salt with electricity uh, and then you can use that uh, like like this is actually used in um, concentrated solar um, uh, power so we normally think of solar photovoltaic But there are some, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen those pictures of like huge fields where they're essentially just angling mirrors at like this tower. Um, and that tower in the middle of it is, is usually some salt that, that can become molten and then they they will use that, um, as like a, either a store of, um, uh, energy, or they can actually run steam off of that in like a kind of complicated heat transfer way to, to make uh, to run a steam turbine, to, to make electricity. Um, so I think that the use cases for salt are actually, you know, kind of low. Um, but then air is another option for, for some other things. Um, but really like, like you can, uh, cement is, is one of the examples where you need to get to like 1400 degrees Celsius. Um, and like you can use hot air as an input to make the, the, um, the production of cement more efficient. Um, but you actually like, you still need a fuel. So this is where hydrogen comes in, uh, which, which we'll, we'll go into in, in the next, uh, section, I guess here, um, maybe down there, it says electrical resistance heating, like electric arc furnaces is, is another way that you can do this. So I actually worked with a company, uh, when I was doing investment banking that, um, they melted metal. That was like their, their, their business so that they, they made these, uh, industrial abrasives. Um, but they, they, rather than using like um like a coking furnace or something like that which uses uh coal or you know some some type of fossil fuel as the input to melt the steel uh, they actually just used an arc furnace so there are a lot of applications like that where you can actually get to very high temperatures with an arc furnace if you're melting steel uh, but if you're making you know concrete or something like that it just you need a, a different process um so let's move on to.
0: So maybe I missed this part. Just help me understand. So what would heat the air in this case?
1: Well, that. So what they're saying is uh, electricity is the input. So if you look at that that okay. chart, so Got you it. can. Um, uh, essentially, it's just like a heat transfer um, situation. So, so you can use. Um, you know, like the like the arc furnace that I, I noted. Um, I, I don't know the specific technologies of like how, like, what type of heating implement is used for heating air. I think it's a really small use case, to be honest with you, uh, okay. at least today. Um, but yeah, you can. There's some equipment out there, presumably that uh, that that would heat air we'll up that. to those extreme temperatures, and then you can use Got that it. to, you know, for for whatever you need. Got it. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and you know, like a lot of power plants today, even, even do this. So, um, two of the power plants that I worked at, uh, they're, they're, what's called combined heat and power. Um, so like I mentioned the, there's like the, uh, if you think of a gas turbine and then you can create the steam by using the waste heat, you can use that steam to, to turn a steam turbine, but then you can also deliver that steam to other industrial companies. So I worked with, uh, like one of the neighbors at, uh, one of the power plants that I worked at was a packaging company that made like cardboard. So we would actually sell them steam and they would use that steam, uh, to like break down the, the wood pulp and, and to get that into, into, um, uh, you know, their, their cardboard. Uh, and same thing on the automotive side, actually one of the other plants that I worked on supplied the, uh, the Ford Dearborn plant with, with industrial steam that they would use for their processes. So, um, you know, there are a lot of processes that do this already, but you, if you're going to take those gas turbines out of the equation, then you've got to replace them with, with something else.
0: Got it. Um, I had no idea there was a market for selling steam. Now I know.
1: Yeah. Fascinating. I, I spent a lot of time trying to price steam out on the, what did I, what was it? Denominator? It was like dollars per thousand pounds per hour or something like this. And so, Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy.
1: Spent, spent a lot of time on that. And then like, what's the optimal mix of like running steam into your steam turbine to sell electricity versus diverting it and selling it to this customer. And like, what's the, wow. What's the cost? Cause like you lose some efficiency if you take it out, but actually one of the interesting things, total sidebar, this is not probably interesting information to many people, but I, I found it fascinating is actually, if you delivered some steam off of the steam turbine at this one particular location of the steam turbine, it would actually make the process more efficient, which just seems incredibly counterintuitive to me that you're taking some of the, like the, the heat input and like the, the thermal input out and, and you're getting more electricity, out of the steam turbine than you would uh. if you had let the whole thing run through, It's just kind of bizarre.
0: Wouldn't that be something that can be maybe like handled by AI or some sort of algorithm too, where somebody doesn't have to like this make those decisions that it can all be done by software, well, like all those little minutia.
1: It's um, it's pretty static. Like the the relationships are are pretty you know well known. And, one to and one for the most part, the customers want just firm uh, mm. delivery of a very set amount of of steam. So um, you we. I'm sure some places might be different, but you know, at least with the, the two companies that I worked with, you know, they they wanted to not be interrupted. They didn't want any more or less steam than they were promised. And if your plant was going down, they wanted to know ahead of time so they could plan their their own processes.
0: Wow. Um, the economy yeah. is so crazy. There are so these like weird edge cases that you would have <laughs> I would have never thought there was a market for selling steam. It blows my mind. Yeah, well, it's and so there are, crazy.
1: There are some plants too um, that that will use steam for like um, citywide. Like, if you have a municipality that has a big plant, they can use that to heat the sidewalks or to deliver heat to um, uh, like schools and, and, and things like that. So, uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's like Holland, Michigan actually has a has a big plant that does that. And so yeah, there's well, never any snow on the sidewalks there in Holland, Michigan because they've got this huge plant. But imagine how much like infrastructure goes into that. It's in my mind not very economical.
0: I wonder if that's one of the cool use cases for curtailing energies to make sure that all sidewalks are like all roads are never iced over or snowed over. And just yeah. Just, anyway, could
1: be. But uh, yeah. yeah, you think of all the the equipment you need to install underneath everything. Yeah. So I've got a lot of notes on this page. So let's do it. Let me. <laughs> we'll get. Into by the way, it.
0: thank you all very much for joining us. Thus far, we're an hour in already, and this thing's like flying by. Matt's going to yeah. take do a ten hour long marathon. Here we go. We're an hour one of ten. Just kidding.
1: My well, <laughs> apologies to everyone. <laughs> um I always well, like this this stuff is so in the weeds. I, I wonder like, how many people It's so fun. I love it. Like we have
0: uh we had a peak of 890 people watching. Yeah. So and it's
1: all been downhill from there? Is that what you're saying?
0: No, it's been up. It's been going up. So thank you all very much.
1: <laughs> all right. Um so on the on the very first page there, um so you need some some green hi- or sorry, not the first page. On on page 12 the very first sentence, um they they're looking at the uh, an estimate for how much industrial demand do we need? So they're saying that um, in order to like replace all this uh, heat transfer equipment essentially, and for to power electrolysis to make hydrogen that you need to, to get to those higher temperature processes, um, in order to do, you need 7.2 petawatt hours per year of, of renewable energy. So there's that you know kind of piece of it. But then I found like some of this stuff was just really interesting. Um, because like they talk about hydrogen here, uh, essentially as an, as an input, but then you'll see in in a minute, they have an entirely different, um, use case for hydrogen that that we'll get into. Um, but this, this, I think is really interesting. That second paragraph, it says the electrical demand for hydrogen production is modeled as a flexible load with annual production constraints with hydrogen storage potential modeled in the form of underground gas storage facilities. Um, so what is, what is that saying? That is essentially saying we need a lot of hydrogen, um, but we can actually use the production of hydrogen as like um, as an interruptible um, sort or not source, an interruptible uh, demand uh, lever. So you need uh, to create your set amount of hydrogen that this report says that you need, but you don't have to just like average that by the number of hours in a year and like always be producing at that average. What it's saying is if if like demand is really high, just stop producing hydrogen for a minute until demand comes back down. And then when demand is really low, um, you can just produce more hydrogen. So like one of the, the examples of like, we, talk, we talked earlier about how much curtailment is gonna be in this plan. You could just create more hydrogen if you, if you needed more than this plan assumed with, with that wasted. And you could use it, you could produce it only when you need to. Um, and then this, this underground storage thing is, is really interesting um so this this is another area of the economy that that you may have never heard of before farzad i'm, I'm kind of curious i didn't know this existed uh, until i got into the energy space uh, but natural gas is uh, is stored underground right now so like in, in michigan for example um the we need a huge amount of natural gra- natural gas in the winter because it's you know it's incredibly cold but we don't need nearly as much in in the summer because you know you're not heating so you really only need it for like um, a few industrial processes like natu- like, uh, bringing a gas plant, for example, to make electricity. Um, so, but the, the production of, of, uh, natural gas is not seasonal. So what they do, it's fascinating. I went and toured one of these facilities. Um, they have these compressor stations. So all during the summer, they will just, they'll pipe in a huge amount of natural gas and they will just—they take these—they're um, like modified diesel ship engines, essentially that run on natural gas—and they just pound it into these geological formations. What? Um, so, yeah, I went into it that this one in Michigan—it's got there are there's essentially um, some geological pockets um, or like old salt caverns. Is another one that they they mention here that we'll get into in a minute. But they have porous rock. Um, there's these porous rock formations that can be surrounded by less porous rock. So you can just like pound for months on end a ton of natural gas into these rock formations that like incredibly high pressures, and then when summer comes or when winter comes along, then you just turn the engines off, and you've already got a source of pressurized natural gas that you can just like pipe right into the system to augment. What? So you're you're piping in like a constant amount of natural gas from your pipelines, but you're managing the the um, the demand seasonality uh, by this seasonal touch. A source of uh of natural gas storage um
0: and it's stored in I, porous rock you don't have to create some sort of like container you just surround the, this rock with a different kind of rock and just pump it into the rock into the porous yeah. rock
1: but yeah it's it's cr- i don't i was like walking around this place i was like it just seems like this place should explode or something <laughs> like, <laughs> for real? It is, it's like very safe Um, and they did have an explosion, uh, at one of (laughs) them. It's
0: very safe, but they actually had an (laughs) explosion.
1: Well, it was, it was crazy. Um, we had one of the coldest winters, one of the coldest days ever in Michigan, maybe four or five years ago. Uh, it was it got down to like the nighttime temperature was like minus 20 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that. So everybody was just on, uh, had their heat, like cranked up to max. Um. And then one of the the compressors blew up at the, the station. so like but the amazing thing is that like the um, like it's not like the whole underground formation blows up because there's no oxygen down there to you know to it. So they just they've got these automatic shut shut in valves, which is phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but we had to like dial back the use because you can imagine if you lose pressure in the system because people are demanding it and there's not no supply, everybody's pilot light goes off in their oh, furnace. Man. imagine the disaster that that would be. You gotta yeah. like manually relight pilots, but you can't. You can't just start like putting natural gas into the into the whole system if people's pilot lights are out. So it's. Oh my god! Like they, they kind of narrowly avoided disaster with that, but for the most part, these are incredibly. They were able to actually meet the demand. It was almost my AirPod. Um, they did it a, a really uh, good job, I think, managing that one particular like fluke incident.
0: Fascinating.
1: So what they're saying is, you could do the same thing with hydrogen. This is when I'm like. A million questions are coming into my mind. One, the natural gas pipeline system that we have right now is actually incredibly leaky. Most people don't know this, but we lose a lot of natural gas um, in leaks in like in just in the pipelines or in the connections to your house or uh, anywhere like this. The, these utility companies have running lists of the leaks <laughs> that they're aware of, and they just categorize them by like, how bad is this leak? Like, do I really need to go fix this today? Or is it like, can I get to it next month? And like, that's just like how they do, they do business. Um, so I, like, and i if you ever smell natural gas, like sometimes I can just like smell it at like the connection to my house. I'm like, well, yeah. and and so it does. And, and natural gas is methane, which is CH4. What they're proposing to do in this master plan is store an incredible amount of hydrogen. Now, hydrogen is just H. It's like literally the smallest element. the The problem with this is it would leak like a sieve. Um, so you you can't just put hydrogen into the same infrastructure that we have for natural gas because the, like the molecule size is so much smaller that you would just need like much tighter valves. You'd need like, you know, potentially um, like uh, different operating pressures. So I actually uh, read a report. This I wasn't even aware that people were talking about doing this with hydrogen until I read this report. It was like, this sounds crazy. Like, is that even a thing? Uh, So like somebody did a study of doing, of retrofitting gas pipelines in Germany, natural gas pipelines in Germany, um, to, to run on hydrogen. And what they found is like, essentially the leak. So you have to drastically lower the operating pressure so that, so that you're not like forcing hydrogen out of these, these leaky things. And, uh, obviously there's, you know, explosion risk or something like that. So, um, you, you can do it. Um, but not with the same infrastructure that we have today is, is kind of the, the the conclusion. So, um, it's just, I I went down the rabbit hole on this one. It's it's, it's such an interesting idea, but like another idea, um, I don't know if you, if you follow at madmanx89, he's another like energy whiz. He's got really great opinions. He was saying you can actually, uh, make synthetic fuels. And this is something that they they talk about in, in this document as well. So Um, we talked before how they were going to sequester some carbon from the air. And so one of the things you could do if you wanted to like, um, just for hypothetical purposes, let's assume that you can like synthesize a ton of, of carbon from direct air capture and you want to use the existing natural gas infrastructure, uh, but do it in a carbon neutral way. Well, you could just synthesize all this hydrogen, you could combine the hydrogen with the sequestered carbon that you got from the air. And then you could make CH4 with that and Mm. pump that underground and use the whole existing system. Now, that would require an insane amount of carbon and you would just be like recycling it back up into the air. So maybe it doesn't even solve the probably doesn't even solve the problem. But um, the the molecule size is like a really big uh, issue with with this with this part of the plan, I think.
0: Got it. So so if we do want to essentially it implies that we need. A, a overhaul of the existing infrastructure to be able to store hydrogen from, from how the, the document reads potentially is that there needs to be investment into that.
1: Infrastructure. A, a huge, a huge amount of, of investment. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And you know, one, one of the, the, the other things that they say is like salt caverns. So I guess salt caverns are, are probably a better option than like the type of porous rock that I was telling you about for the natural gas. Mm. Um, I'm guessing those, I, I don't know all the details, but it seems like that is the way to go. I, I, the energy um department of, of the united states apparently just released um a couple different reports on this like just before we got on today i like found this 111 page report that the en- department of energy just put out about like uh hydrogen it was it's fascinating so I, i've got to dive into that some more um okay so but let, let's move on because that's uh interesting but there's there's a lot more to get to here so uh number five on the same page 12 is saying okay so now we we've handled um you know hydrogen for industrial heating purposes essentially um but what about like sustainably uh fueling planes and boats this is something that we we talked about before so shipping uses this, this heavy fuel oil um which i mentioned is just like very nasty uh, but it says on the the first sentence there that you would need um, you would need to optimize design speed and routes to enable smaller batteries with more frequent charge stops on long routes. And so I was like, okay, you, you're gonna essentially put batteries in boats and have them charged and like essentially build out like a supercharger network, but in the sea, you know on on island chains, presumably. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just wondering, like how realistic is that? um but i did some some math which i you you may or may not find interesting but i was just trying to figure out like how much fuel input do these you know ultra large container vessels use um so the math i found was that they use on average about 350 metric tons of this fuel a day um which on a two week journey from shanghai to la would be 5000 metric tons um to convert that into um the electrical um like equivalent you would need 19,500 megapacks, uh, which would cost $39 billion and have a weight of 1.6 million tons. Jeez. Um, and for comparison, uh, like the fully loaded, um, ultra large care container vessel, uh, has a weight of half a million tons. So at least with current technology, it's not really feasible to just like put a ton of batteries and do a two week sea journey on a, on a ULCV
0: are you are you also accounting for the more efficient drivetrain or whatever you want to call it to drive the I, boat
1: i found some conversions that that allegedly took that into consideration um you know but even if i if i'm off by like a factor of three like it doesn't matter it's just it's like too many batteries so i it, it looks like tesla did this same math and said okay well you you can't just stick you know whatever that is like 100 gigawatt hours of batteries <laughs> onto, sh- onto every single ship like that's just that's not a good use of resources um, yeah. so the solution they came up with was just you know more frequent charging stops smaller batteries more frequent charging stops um which to my point i like earlier i just don't think that's gonna happen i don't think like if you are turning a two-week journey into a three-week journey and you are you know uh, lowering your performance cause you're, you're running at a lower speed, which they they also mentioned because your efficiency, uh, in water really, uh, reduces when you're getting at very high speed, just like cars, you know, like when a car gets up to 200 miles an hour, like it, the, the air pressure that that creates, the, the resistance is, is like the most significant at, at that, at that point. So like adding an extra, um, like the amount of energy needed to get from like 205 miles per hour up to 206 is just like astronomical because of the resistance. Same thing's true mm-hmm. in water and to an even more extent. So you got to slow down shipping lanes, add charging stops and add a lot of expensive, uh, you know, batteries. I just, I think that's going to be a hard sell. So if I had to bet on one part of the plan that doesn't happen at least for the next, you know, 50 years, I would guess it's, it's this, the, uh, this segment of the, of the shipping um, part of the economy.
0: I think the, the, maybe the, I would be very, very curious to say like, what, how, cause boats don't stop for fueling right now, right? They go straight from coast to coast or do they stop at islands to fuel the container ships? How's that work today? Um, you know,
1: I, I think the, like the, the ultra large container vessel ones that I'm talking about, I, I don't believe they'll stop. I think they'll, they'll go like they two weeks going. and keep going. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I'm curious. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there's some sort of mathematical equation that says, well, you might go from a two week to a four week lead time. But if you can put more of these on the ocean and sort of like maybe double the boats on the, on the sea, then you can kind of like get the same end result because you'll just fill the pipeline up and you just uh, double your lead time and you could do that. But I mean, that, that that's a, that's a very, we have to sit down and actually do the math and understand yeah. sort of what the efficiency is of these electric boats that they're trying to, trying to do to see if it's economically viable.
1: Yeah. I'm not too sure. And you know, it's, it's kind of like the same thing in, in rockets. Like, you know, like when you burn the fuel in a rocket, it gets lighter, which makes it more efficient, the further you go right. along, but like you got the same thing on boats. Like if you use the, the energy from half your batteries, well, now that's just dead weight kind of uh, decreasing your efficiency. So right. for, for long duration stuff, somebody in the comments said synthetic fuels. And I think that that might be the way that you do it. So kind of similar to what we're talking about with like, you know, making synthetic uh, methane or something like that you, I don't think you would do that with, um, it wouldn't run on methane, but like there, there could be some synthetic liquid fuel that you could maybe retrofit these with. What about hydrogen? Maybe that would be a, What's that? Hydrogen. Hydrogen. I think again, for, for the reasons that we talked about before, you would probably want to, um, synthesize it with something so that you, like, you would either need like a, a very highly pressurized container to, to hold all that hydrogen. Uh, but it might just like, I think your, your most energy dense solution is going to be some type of uh, of like liquid synthetic fuel that you can you know just put in there, and they yeah. talk about making uh, synthetic jet fuel in here too. Um, so I I don't know enough about <laughs> maritime operations to know whether you can use you know jet fuel, but I'd imagine there's probably some liquid variant that that might be a, a better option than you know just batteries. But
0: I could be wrong. Got it. Got it. Okay. Continue, please.
1: All right. Uh, and actually, yeah, so he says, that it, he says this, it, the, the plan says this on, uh, on chapter 12, it's, it mentions carbon and hydrogen for synthetic fuels may also be sourced from biomass, um, which for, for those who don't know, like biomass is burning like wood chips or something like that. A lot of like byproducts from the logging industry uh, can be burned and it's essentially carbon neutral because it's like the trees would just release that to the atmosphere anyway. In some ways it's actually better because there's um, emissions capturing equipment that takes out a lot of the stuff um in 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 a biomass plant um but yeah what they're saying is you could essentially take some carbon and and synthesize it to make some some fuels got it um and for planes we didn't talk about the planes but this the same uh you can essentially make make the jet fuel like we were talking about um so now it says uh let's, let's move on to the next page page 13. Um, this, this one is kind of funny. So I, a lot of the, the energy nerds out there saw this chart and just kind of laughed because it is like a drastic oversimplification of, of the grid and parts of it are like just wrong.
2: <laughs> so okay.
1: for, for example, like Louisiana is not really part of the Southwest grid interconnection. It's actually part of what's called MISO, the Midwest, uh, uh, inter- how am I blanking on the, the, the name for the ISO, the uh, interconnection system operator or something like that, uh, integrated system operator. So like the, the same electrical grid, um, runs from Michigan all the way down to Louisiana and and big chunks of the, the states in blue there. Um, and there's just like parts of Texas aren't right. Like California has its own grid. So, so they've essentially vastly simplified, um, the existing, uh, grid system, because uh, there are a lot more grid operators, but then there are also some areas of the country which don't have grid operators, where the um, essentially the uh, local utility manage- that you know it produces the power also balances the, the the transmission and distribution systems. So you don't. It's just it's it's way more complicated. They they took a a, a very uh, simplified approach to this, uh, which I thought was kind of interesting.
0: So there's a lot more players in this. So there is like the, the gray area is gonna have multiple players, the blue area is gonna have multiple players, the pink area is gonna have multiple players, so on and so forth. It's not as simple as from here yeah. to there. Yeah, it's
1: it's definitely not as simple as that. And the um so they did it for, for modeling purposes. So I'm not gonna critique it too much because it's like you you can like analyze this thing to death, but essentially getting this stuff to uh, all work out uh, in the way that they're modeling kind of depends on the transmission constraints that they've shown here. Um, now this is, this is one area where I think there's actually, a, an error in the, um, in the report. So the, the amount of interconnections or transmission, uh, that they're showing here, uh, I think it's about three times more, very roughly speaking, uh, than we have right now. Um, but if you look at the, the cost buildup where they get to that $10 trillion figure. On page, uh, where is it? Uh, that's not it on page. No, that's not it. So many tables in here. Okay. On page (laughs) 27, um, page 27 is a summary of all the different, you know, areas of this, um, report and what it would cost to, uh, to do the upgrades. There's nothing in here for transmission. Uh, at all, so um I, I found that was kind of an interesting omission. Um, they also, and we'll get into this in a minute too, but they assume that another use case for hydrogen will be electricity generation, and that technology also. Sorry, Matt. Use- ex-
0: so explain transmission for those that oh yeah that sorry familiar.
1: yeah okay. So um you have to like not only produce the electricity, but you have to get it where it will be consumed, um and so like that happens on the like both a local level so. If there's a power plant in in my town, I need some, some what's called distribution lines to, uh, which are lower voltage than transmission to kind of, um, run from, uh, the substation to my house. Um, then, but there for longer distance, um, distances that need to be traveled, such as in between all the different grids of the country, um, you need high, higher voltage transmission lines, which are, you know, very expensive, the approval timeline is like oftentimes 10 years or longer. There is a huge amount of nimbyism with this, which is, you know, people saying not in my backyard, people mm. don't want transmission. Cause it's like, so the most optimal route, like there's just huge amount of local politics, state politics, federal politics, uh, to get these things built. It's, it's a total nightmare. Um, and so it's, um, to, to, to triple the size of the existing transmission Infrastructure, at least of the technically what they were doing in that report is is tripling the amount of um, of imports and exports, like from one grid to another. Mm-hmm. So, like if it's super windy in, in Texas, for example, and there's a bunch of wind production, but uh, demand is really high in like say Cal ISO, the the California grid or the Western grid, um, then like you would want to be able to take advantage of that by shipping the overproduction from Texas into the area that has high demand but but lower production on that particular day. So, so Tesla has these modeling constraints in there, uh, saying we're not going to export more than so like a set amount from one part of the U.S. grid to another. But they don't have the cost accounted for in this table, uh, which is I think just an oversight. And it's not it's not going to like double the, the whole cost of this system, but it, it, it's kind of interesting that they just didn't even include that.
0: Ten percent, twenty percent, like what what does it usually run?
1: Uh, well, so like the, the total, the whole investment here is like $10 trillion or something like that. And I don't think we're talking about even a trillion dollars for all those upgrades.
0: Got uh, it. So single so. digit percentage of the total cost, essentially.
1: I think so. Yeah, I think okay. so.
0: Got it. Um, okay.
1: So let's go to back to page. Uh, by the way, it, dude, this
0: is a lot of work you've done, bro. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, like, like- you go page by page and you're reciting all this like knowledge from the dome. It's crazy impressive it's just impressive. like
1: it's so i i think i tweeted at you like it seemed like they wrote it for me because it's all the stuff that i'm interested in and i'm learning That's new stuff so along cool. way. It's like i didn't know you could do use hydrogen for that so i i loved it it was uh it was just a joy to, to dig into it
0: we're um, very lucky that you have, have uh, uh given us your time seriously thank you for for giving us your time yeah it's well, rare that I'd, i'm nice uh, to you but i really do feel like i have to be nice to you right now because it this is hugely valuable. <laughs> well,
1: I'm just, I really am a nerd with this stuff. Like I find this super interesting and I love accounting and it's like, all right, well, yeah. I just have to admit that I, I'm not cool, but uh, I hopefully can be useful in, in certain situations. Um, so let's go go back to page 15.
0: That should be like a shirt. I'm not cool, but I hope to be useful. <laughs> I want to make you one for the next one for part. All right. I like it. Yeah.
1: yeah I saw Yashu was in here earlier. You've got the, the blueberries shirt. For, Heck yeah. in the honor of him. So, yeah, I'll take a nerdy shirt. <laughs> um, okay. So, so this uh, this is interesting. This is essentially um, kind of a, a summary of what they were modeling. Uh, I told you that they looked at the, the resources uh, on an hour by hour basis. Um, so, what, what you're modeling on the y axis here is what's called capacity factor. Um, capacity factor is a really interesting, um, uh, tool that's, that's used commonly in energy, in the energy space to essentially say, okay, how, what percentage of the time is your resource being utilized? So if you have like a hundred megawatt hour gas plant, it can run like 90% of the time, 95% of the time, as long as it's economical to. And so you essentially take your, um, 100 megawatts that you're capable of generating, times 8,760 hours in the year. And then you take the, uh, so that, that's in your, your denominator of capacity factor. And then the numerator is just what was the actual production. Mm. So with solar, uh, it, solar obviously there's, you know, roughly half the day when um, it, there is no sun and uh, most of the rest of the day, it's not producing at full output. So that's why if you look at those solar capacity factors, they're like, you know, 22, 27% kind of range. Um, it's pretty low. Wind tends to be a lot higher in like the, you know, 20s to 40s. Uh, but a lot of like normal plants, uh, depending on like if they're base load, like nuclear, for example, uh, has an effective capacity factor of about like 100%, 100 like n- maybe 99%. Because you can't turn it off. Like turning it off is a multiple day project. Um, so like it just runs flat out. It's called base load. You don't turn it off. It's just always there. Um, they actually have a code, at least in MISO. You can denote something like that as a must run plant. And then the the ISO can't tell you to turn off, uh, even if like prices go negative. You're just like, sorry, I'm not turning off. It's physically not happening. Wow. Um, so so this is where like the way that we used to do things on the grid um, doesn't work if you're <laughs> if you're like having huge amounts of new solar and wind um, that just like you can't control It's it's like uh, the way that the like Yeah. Well, it it'll turn on and off. Like, but. Like the way it works right now, like the, the guys in the control room at a plant will literally get a call from, from the grid operator saying, Hey, fire up. And like, it's kind of a, a just crazy system. Uh, but like there are some dispatches where, you know, it's a more automated system than that, but there are definitely still times when, when you've got like, that's the level of a technological sophistication of this process. Um. So what I found kind of interesting about this, so you, so you can see the the capacity factors for wind. It, like It's very seasonal, but this also shows you on a daily basis, um, at least where the wind plants that I operated, they tended to generate more energy at night, um, slightly higher capacity factor during nighttime Scroll hours. Scroll down a little bit there,
0: hours. producer wife, if you don't mind, so we can see that whole chart there at the bottom. Is there more entry? Yeah, perfect. And just, just make it so that the, both the graph at the top and the chart can both be seen fully if you can get them to line up. Yeah. Sorry, Matt, go ahead.
1: Uh, yeah. So, um, what I found kind of interesting about this though, is that the, the solar capacity factor in the, you know, call it mid 20% range. Um, those are not indicative of residential capacity factors. Uh, those are like more commercial and, and, uh, especially utility scale capacity factors where you're essentially facing them due south to get advantage of, of the optimal amount of sunlight. But if you put those same panels. On my house, which does not face due south and actually has some that are really suboptimally placed, you're gonna have the capacity factor more in like the, where I am in Michigan, probably more like 16%, 17% range. Um, so if you wanted to be really nitpicky, or if you wanted to say, uh, where is Tesla's opportunity? Tesla has been talking about being a distributed, uh, Elon actually said in their 2017 earnings call, he wanted Tesla to become a giant global distributed utility. And that word distributed means they'd be doing things uh, what's called behind the meter. So putting solar on your roof or solar on the, like the, the roof of the gigafactories where it's actually being, uh, you put, you site the production of electricity with the demand point of electricity so that you, you don't need all the, the transmission and distribution. But these mm-hmm. capacity factors um, <laughs> are not, are definitely not residential. So to the extent that you wanted to uh, have this same plan, but uh, do it more on on like um on a distributed basis, you would need to, to pay for a lot more solar because you wouldn't be generating as much electricity as this model is, is going to tell you.
0: Got it. So, so the, the people on people's houses, the solar CF is going to be less because it's yeah. not going to be optimized for wherever they are, depending on your roof and where it's facing. Plus you're not going to get as much density, right? Cause it's just going to be each yeah. roof is going to have so much, so much solar on it. And so the, angle and- of
1: the roof is bad. It's not facing due South. Yeah.
0: Got it. Got it. Okay got it Um,
1: so yeah i thought that was just kind of interesting that they just put that out there because it it seems like the opposite of what tesla is actually trying to do with their solar business but you know i think for um i can't really nitpick it too much because i mean this is like almost like an academic exercise like i said so it doesn't drastically do
0: both though couldn't they do both couldn't you have it on yeah and just merge the two
1: and I, I would argue that that would be the cheaper, cheaper way to do it. So, so you'll get lower energy output if you put it on your roof, but you can avoid paying for a good part of the transmission and distribution system. Yeah. So, yeah. um, yeah, it is kind of interesting. There are all these trade-offs of when you're trying to match supply with demand on an hourly basis like this, it's a uh, very, very complicated
0: and it's fascinating that based on this graph wind would generate more than solar is that a, is that correct that's just pivotal, based? yeah yep. yeah okay
1: yeah the, so wind wind definitely has like kind of mid 30s some of the projects i worked on have like a 40 percent plus capacity factor um so that's that's not unusual
0: um, and so the net petawatt hours from wind on this chart would be more than solar it just it just happens to be like, are the capacities one to one? So it says, like, is it wind twenty nine percent capacity factor? Is that based is it is that based off of the 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 same top number? If that makes any sense, you um, know what I'm saying?
1: I think so. But I, so the so the but the, I think what you're getting at is um, is there going to be the same amount of is there going to be more wind generation? Correct. No, um, because you're going to build out more solar than you are wind here uh, okay. in the plant. So if you, if you had just like five petawatt hours of wind and five petawatt hours of solar, yeah, you would definitely have more actual or not petawatt hours. Sorry. If you had five petawatts of output, um, capacity of uh, what's called nameplate capacity. So let's just imagine like a hundred, let's make it easier. A hundred megawatt wind farm and a hundred megawatt solar farm. You would definitely have more energy from oh, the wind farm than from yeah. the solar farm.
0: Got it. Cause but it's just more, it's more efficient.
1: Um, yeah, I wouldn't even say that it's, it's more efficient. I guess technically you could say that it's just, uh, it's, it's producing up to its stated capacity more, more often time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Got it. Um,
1: okay. So in thank actually, you for uh, uh,
0: opening up this black box for us. This is literally like, I mean, I, this is one of the most, I can't tell you how much I'm learning on this podcast for real, for real, for real, for real. Yeah. I'm gonna actually start being nice to you on Twitter. I'm I thinking do about that. it. <laughs> 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 Ew. <Continuous. laughs> um,
1: yeah. So if you if you scroll down um, a little bit to the bottom paragraph on the same page, um, they have a, a whole um, paragraph here which I won't reread. But essentially, at that last sentence, they say um, th- they're talking about curtailment so they're saying that the the trade-off may evolve Uh, let me summarize the couple paragraphs a couple sentences before that they're just saying they're going to overbuild solar and wind um, and that will will result in more curtailment but they're saying that the most economical thing to do in their model was to to have more solar and wind uh, and not build as much battery capacity to capture all of it as as, like you, you might think they should do uh, but what they're saying is the trade-off that trade-off may evolve as grid storage maturities, uh, grid storage technologies mature. But with the assumptions modeled, the optimal generation and storage portfolio resulted in 32% curtailment. Oh. So you're, you're losing a third of the electricity that you produce, um, which is just kind of massive. And if you actually go to the next page, oh, actually no, it's uh, so.
0: So let me let me rephrase this another way. So so of of how they've built so wind, wind capacity factor at 34% and solar capacity factor at 24%. So each one of these is producing one third to one fourth of their total capacity. And of that one third to one fourth, you're still going to quote unquote, waste one third of that. Yeah. Yep. Got it. Yep. Crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, it's kind of wild. It makes it's, no it's sense. So <laughs> counterintuitive, but like I'm so glad Tesla said this because like this definitely makes sense, but it's um, okay. you have to kind of like be an energy nerd to understand that like that's actually not wasteful. That's just, that's very economical.
0: So for any entrepreneurs out there that are l- really thinking about how to build the next generation of, of the world, this cur- this curtailment piece of the puzzle seems like, like you said, like you alluded to it earlier in the podcast, this just seems like a giant tremendous opportunity for us to capitalize on because that is so much yeah. freaking energy it's unbelievable. It's yeah. it's
1: crazy. Um and have you uh have you done uh, read any of the, the work by oh gosh what the what guy's name I can't believe I'm Tony
0: Siva? Gonna,
1: Tony siva yeah
0: I have his um, book I haven't read it yet but I know I know a lot of his work. He, yeah. So a
1: lot of people love his stuff. Um uh, but he He's he great. essentially outlined this where you are like the same sort of thing that you're gonna like really overbuild wind and solar and you're you're gonna have the way that he frames it is slightly different than the way that Tesla is framing it here. But he says essentially that your marginal cost of energy is going to go to zero. And this is something that Chamath talks about on the all in podcast. too. And it's, it's really worth understanding because you have to pay like for all the capital to build all these solar plants. It's like ridiculous. You have to, it's going to be very expensive, but once you've done that, you've You're just done. got like free zero marginal cost energy available to do whatever you want. And so Tony talks about that as a superpower. So now that you've built this infrastructure, you've got free energy, like that's a sunk cost now that it's built. Like, and, and he essentially says that that can like supercharge the economy. If, if energy, if electricity was free on wholesale markets, imagine like how much more we could do with compute. Imagine how much um like, like how, what that would enable for AI. I mean, and like the, um, like any other, like, even like Bitcoin mining, like anything that's, um,
0: You know what uh, my mind goes to with that? Like, like desalination of water would be basically yeah. free, right? Yeah. Because that's an energy thing. Look, my dogs are excited about it too. Go ahead. Yeah.
1: <laughs> like, but like, like doing this, like the hydrogen electrolysis. Well, well, Go I'm ahead. Not, I'm muted on one. On operation other, on the running other. Here, this is ridiculous. I, I'm a an important sloppy person. one. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but like, I also like. There's things that we can think of like that. But I imagine there's a whole host of things that we can't even imagine that, like, that we could start doing if energy was actually free. And and just imagine like the if that cost structure went out of a lot of businesses' operating expense line, like that that metal melting company that I was telling you about earlier that that uh, I was wor- working with at one point, electricity cost was their single biggest line item in their income statement. If we just get rid of that, imagine like. What what does that do? Like, how can they reinvest that, that in ways that creates more economic opportunity in just crazy ways that we we can't even imagine? So, like, this is such a hopeful document when you think of the implications um, beyond even what Tesla expressly says here. It's just, it's wild, um, and it's the future that I can get really excited
0: about. Man, crazy. Keep, keep going. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to. It's just it, it really is. It, it just I I think the the magnitude of the vision again, like the amount of work that needs to go into this and a lot of the, the the hypotheses and all the different things that Tesla has outlined have to be tested and has to be very much uh, regular. We have to be very rigorous in testing it and making sure that it pans out. But I, I hear this I hear this future sort of thing that's poten- like this potential future more and more. And it's, it's very hard not to get excited about it. But I, I'll let you keep going here. Um, yeah. And we still have some things to cover.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure we won't get through the, the whole thing today. But uh, mm-hmm. if we can go to, to page 16, um, this is like, it took me a long time to figure out what the hell is going on in, in this chart. <laughs> um, so I I will try to walk through it in uh, as logical a way as I, as I can. Essentially, w- what they've done here is they took, um, <clears throat> excuse me. I think can you scroll like down something? a little
0: bit there, Producer wife, so we can see the bottom, uh, the legends? Thank you.
1: So it is a four day look at their essentially their modeled um, grid system. Um, And and they're saying, okay, we've got all this solar and wind built up um, and they took some historical days and said, what would those resources being in place in the way that we have um, outlined here? What would that look like? And so you can see like the green is the wind um, that's, that's like kind of at the at the bottom there. The, the yellow is the solar. So you can see in the middle of the day that that really starts to peak up. Um, and then you've got so much solar generating uh, kind of in the middle of the day that you can start uh, putting that to storage. So the, the gray there is lithium ion storage. Um, and then the, the red is thermal storage, which actually we didn't uh, talk about quite yet. Um, I don't know if I, if I just rolled over that part, but they were actually talking about using um, some of those thermal systems that we're talking about on the industrial side as a source of storage. So like you can heat the molten salt um, and then take that heat for your industrial processes that you need the next day. So when when like energy is just super abundant and you've got more than you need, you, you take a good chunk of that and you you heat up your, your salt or whatever, your air, your water. Um, and then the next day that, that's just kind of available for you. So you, you would discharge it during the operating hours. Um, so that's kind of an interesting thing that I hadn't really heard Tesla talk about before, but then you can see, um, once the, uh, demand goes down a little bit, or the, sorry, the supply, particularly of solar goes down. Um, like if you actually, let's look at that November 2nd date. Um, you can see, uh, kind of clearly there that there is lithium ion, uh, charging. Let's see, where is it? Um, Oh no, sorry. There's lithium ion discharging, which is that kind of gray uh, chunk um, ab- above the the green. Um,
0: uh, above, yeah, right like, there. okay, We're, yep, since, I see that. You got it
1: there. So yep. um, you're you're discharging your, your lithium ion batteries that you had charged during that peak time there, uh, and then you're also discharging your thermal storage, which is that the thing right above there, and then they just stuck in. Uh, hydrogen storage will be discharged. That's like the light orange or like the, the peach color. And I was like, what the hell is hydrogen storage <laughs> discharge? I don't, I don't recall Tesla talking about that. So I went deep down the rabbit hole and like, what, cause they're talking about, um, um, electricity generation with, with a lot of this stuff. And so like, I don't recall anything about hydrogen electricity generation, but like, there it is. Um, so I just found that very strange and we'll go to that in the next page, but, um, essentially what they're saying is like all these new technologies that they've modeled, this is how they would operate in like a four day, you know, kind of time period. I think it was in the fall that they did. Um, so any, any kind of questions or comments on that before we we move to this whole hydrogen thing?
0: The thing that sticks out to me is that the reason why I guess curtailing is so like having the ability to curtail and to overproduce is so important is so when I look at the bottom of the chart, like underneath the dates, where there's those like, those uh, empty uh, squares for the curtailing. So the yellow and the green, if you can highlight that for me, like pointed out producer wife on the bottom, it's under the dates, it's the yellow and and green boxes that are like graphically going up and down. For those, you can see that on October 31st, that the the curtailing for that is much less than the next few days, which tells me that Mm -hmm. the reason you'd wanna overproduce or create additional capacity is because your daily production can change so much that yeah. you you want to sort of uh, accommodate for the worst case scenario, and then yeah. in the in the days where you're generating enough or or way more than enough, you're that's where the window opens for in, in, opportunity of of harnessing that curtailed energy, essentially.
1: Yeah, that, that's exactly yeah. right, that, and that's a great point. Um, you're right. You can see even just on that one day, what a difference in, in the curtailment you know, situation is. And so essentially you have to, you have to plan for as much capacity, uh, as you could ever need during like one five minute interval in the entire year. And then you actually add a buffer on top of that. It's called a reserve margin. So like you essentially build the whole electric system up to like this, this crazy resiliency level Add a buffer on top of that. Um, and so that, that's why you get this 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 huge amount of overbuild. And then with wind and solar, since you can't control when they're dispatched, that's why you get all this this curtailment. So yeah, it's a great Got it. point.
0: Got it. Okay. Cool. Um
1: it. so so let's move on to this this next page because this hydrogen thing, I it was like bizarre. Because we talked about hydrogen, um, you know, essentially for like heating purposes, but without any like there's no words like above this chart. They're just like saying, Okay, like here's how we're gonna like seasonally make electricity generation from hydrogen storage. There's just like so poorly laid out. <laughs> it's like, you could see here, they're talking about like actual generation in gigawatts and, you know, terawatt hours. In the, the paragraph below, they talk about um, actually making uh, electricity, gener- electricity from hydrogen. And this was just like a head scratcher to me because I'm not, there is essentially no hydrogen used for electricity generation purposes right now. Uh, so like the natural gas plant that I, I told you about, you're using methane as the fuel. Um, but like, you can't just do the same thing with hydrogen for the reasons that, uh, I outlined before, well, I did some digging and there actually is a plant in Ohio that's using 5% um, of their fuel mix is, is hydrogen. And they're trying to get that up to 100% over time. And they are doing it with kind of off the shelf GE equipment, which. I was absolutely shocked by it. Like I did not know this was a thing that like people were working on. GE has a whole page on their website talking about how you can use their, their systems uh, to like essentially run on, on hydrogen, which is was just like completely shocking to me. Um, Cause if you can um, just like swap out natural gas fuel for hydrogen, like you can use a lot of the existing infrastructure. Now, it's not going to be that simple. I mean, there's a reason they're only at 5%. We talked about like the leaking situation before. Um, so there's a lot of technical work to be done, I think, to, to really get this to scale up. Um, but I, I found it fascinating that they're actually talking about uh, using hydrogen in this way, um, which kind of gets to the question of like, why? Why are they even doing this? Um,
0: so would it basically and- double like a battery? Is that is that the right way of thinking about it?
1: yes and so uh which which gets me to another chart we should jump to in a second and then we'll come back to this one um i actually tweeted this out because it was like such a shocking um finding um in there uh it's the chart that has like the the uh the storage deployments by technology uh somewhere in here uh let's see, see if
0: i can oh me. yeah here it is on page
1: 20. so tesla talks about lithium-ion all the time right um 20. Oh yeah, that's it. Sorry. Um, Look at the second table there. They're saying, uh, where where are we going? Yeah. Um, So they're saying eight hour lithium ion storage, which is longer than Tesla does right now. They're saying six and a half terawatt hours of that. Um, And then they're saying 6.9 terawatt hours of that industrial thermal storage that we were talking about earlier, where like you're heating molten salt or something like that. But then look at hydrogen storage, 107 terawatt hours of hydrogen. It's like what Tesla is essentially saying is lithium ion doesn't scale up to solve this problem, which like, I don't recall Elon ever saying that. I don't recall anybody from Tesla ever talking about this. And they're, what they're saying is like, this, this is what we need to do. Um,
0: can we find out what that asterisk is? Can you scroll down a little bit and say what, see what the asterisk, the asterisk I keep going down on the page? That's an out, I think, Let's see. uh, is that the X? Is that an X? Yeah. So 17.8 terawatt hours of jet fuel delivered from H2 are stored with current infrastructure.
1: Yeah. So so this this goes to what they were talking about about like the actual physically storing them in like a salt cavern. Yeah. Um so so they're just saying like this technology already exists. And and I had had no idea that there were 17 terawatt hours of, of capacity to store that. So that's that's essentially saying that um, like it's pretty cheap to do that. I mean, imagine the cost of doing 17 terawatt hours of lithium ion batteries would be like staggering. Um, So it's much more cost effective to, to store hydrogen. Um, And and the reason uh, that they're employing this technology, if we go back to where we just were on slide 17 um, is to handle the seasonal problem. So lithium ion is great at handling the daily peaks and, and you know, valleys as they are, but like, when we get to winter capacity factor for solar is just much lower. And so you need, um, like something to kind of make up that difference. Cause you, you, are not going to be, um, charging your, your lithium ion batteries as much as you normally would. Um, so what this chart is showing here, um, you've got uh like a year and a half window essentially that they, they modeled out january of 2019 through january i guess it's two years through january of 2023 essentially uh it's on the far side um and then they're saying the the, the tan line there is the solar and wind generation uh pre-curtailment and then the the black line is seasonal hydro or hydrogen um, so you, you can see like in the the summer months when there's tons of solar, uh, like if you look at like July 19, that black bar is going up. And then when you get to January, it gets depleted really fast. Uh, then, you know, when you get into kind of spring, the black bar starts to go up again. And so it's the same thing that I was talking about before with like the natural gas storage. Uh, you know, you're pumping it in for months at a time. Um when you have tons of electricity and like you otherwise which you otherwise would be curtailing, uh, but you're using that to um make hydrogen, so hydrogen electrolysis, and then you're pumping that into salt caverns or, or various forms of, of storage. Um but then you're actually um converting that um hydrogen into electricity on the discharge. So you not only have to pull it out of this underground storage system that you have. Um, but you, you have to then burn it in, in some manner, or, or you can use like a fuel cell, but that's probably prohibitively expensive, um, to make electricity. And this is another, I think, error in, in the report, because they don't have the cost for electricity generating equipment for hydrogen either in, in their chart, uh, which again, I don't think changes the entire dynamics, but it's, it would be, first of all, that technology doesn't exist right now. (laughs) Like it's, it's certainly, and certainly not at the kind of scale that they're talking about here. Um, so it just, uh, like, I would love to hear them unpack this because this is essentially how they're solving a huge piece of the overall pie. Um, and they don't really talk about it, which is just weird, I think.
0: Yeah. Uh, could, could, it, is it possible that maybe is a typo or do you really think that does a math sort of like. Pans out well, to the fact, yeah.
1: No, it, it it does pan. So it's not it's not a typo. I mean, like you saw it on that table is one hundred and seven yeah. terawatt hours or something like that. And uh, it's uh, if you if you go back even to the page we just were on on sixteen to look at the chart, you can you can actually see this. So you, you've got the hydrogen storage discharging to kind of meet that that need. And so like it's a the look if you if you kind of compare the scale. Of the daily lithium ion discharge in gray, there, the, the the daily lithium ion discharge is like you know two to like if if you look at that first day, maybe five times the size of of the daily hydrogen discharge, um, but the, the hydrogen can go months at a time supplying that much, and the lithium ion needs to be recharged the next day. So um, what they're what they're showing you here is that like balancing the seasonality is going to be done with hydrogen. Um, which is, which is just interesting. Cause I had never really heard anybody talking about this yeah. and then I stumbled upon this report, dug down this, found that GE site. That's actually doing this right now and found this huge department of energy report that was just published a, a couple days or a couple weeks ago where they, they talk about the same thing. Um, but it, it kind of makes sense, especially if you, if you put the whole system together where you've got a huge amount of, of like, curtailed solar and wind why not just like use as much of that as you can to uh like get elect- electrolyzers is that what it's called and um make hydrogen and then like pump that into into storage it actually kind of makes sense but it's um it was surprising to me
0: yeah can we go back down to that chart we're looking at with a uh, 100 terawatt hours of uh of lithium or hydrogen yeah hydrogen storage scroll down for me so what this is saying is uh, the lithium ion storage. It, so the lithium ion storage is what uh, essentially what Tesla is actively working towards today with their battery manufacturing. Right. And so they're calling for yeah. 6.5 terawatt hours of, of global install capacity. And uh, right now there is 815. Is that what it is? Uh, uh, or No, it's just a conversion. What is that? Install capacity? No, what hours?
1: That's, I guess that's got to be today. Yeah, because it's gigawatts, so that's it's a lot smaller than
0: has to be today, I right? I don't
1: think there is that much though, and it has
0: got to be global. Yeah. Um. So they're basically calling for a ten uh, xing, almost a nine xing, eight eight to nine xing of the current lithium ion storage globally. And yeah. Tesla, that on their own, they're producing about hundred gigawatt hours per year across across vehicles and energy storage, and it's mostly going to vehicles. Okay, so I'm just trying to conceptually like understand just how much, how many more. If this is correct, um, it, but but it is it's it's just so fascinating and weird that so much eighty percent, almost ninety percent of the total installed capacity for energy storage is hydrogen. It's like yeah. it's completely wild. Like, okay. it seems
1: like that warrants we need answers. Stuff. Like they didn't yeah. talk about that at, at the investor day when they unveiled this plan. Yeah. I'm um, like, this is a pretty important piece of the puzzle, as you guys yourselves are saying. And there's just like, you know, there's no nothing in the write-up explaining it. So you have to like piece it together. And I'm like, okay, I guess this makes sense, but like I guess yeah. you don't talk about it because it's not part of your business. I I don't know. It's it was just kind of surprising to me. Um, it All does right. it does say though in that table that it's it's for US only. Um, so to scale that up, I think the factor to scale it up globally is like a factor of six that they used. Um, so you're talking about you know almost forty terawatt hours globally of of lithium ion. But yeah, then look at the hydrogen storage globally too it's a, it's a lot more
0: got it. Um, okay. so
1: just crazy, I thought,
0: yeah. Um, we have about, you have about five, uh, like like you're almost basically at time, right? Well, How much so more my, do you have? My
1: wife actually just texted me. I've got a half an hour if you, if okay, you want perfect. to go a little bit longer.
0: Yeah, sure. Why not? I got it. Um, I'm okay with that.
1: Sure. So like that was just very bizarre. And uh, there's a whole host of stuff that's not technologically solved um, that would need to be in order to, to make this work. Um, yeah. But like I do think it's, I don't know. I, I think it's just bizarre that they didn't include the cost for it on, on that table, um, nor did they really explain it at all. They just kind of like stuck it in there. So yeah, yeah this, this thing's very, very bizarre in my mind.
0: Well, so, uh, what do you think about doing maybe for the last half hour, we'll do Q and a maybe, cause we have gone for two hours. I'm sure people have questions and then we'll, Do you want to do a part two some other time or do you, yeah. you want to keep going? It's completely up no, to you.
1: No, yeah, that's that's a good idea. Um, okay. In fact, I've got close to the end of my, um, of my of my notes maybe maybe the last thing let's just end on page 19 if you don't mind
0: finish your notes then let's if you're almost done with your notes finish your notes
1: yeah well i just think it's it's interesting here like again on this this table on page 19 they don't say anything about about hydrogen but like very clearly from that slide that they showed before they're assuming that hydrogen will be used to produce electricity but they don't have anything in here about the costs associated with that i i guess because they don't really know um Mm -hmm. but i think it would be comparable, um, to gas generation right now, which is actually pretty, pretty economical. Um, so I, it's just an, a, an error of some sort that they didn't even include the confusing at best. Confusing yeah. at best. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this is, this is kind of interesting though, cause then you've got an entire, uh, I, I like what they did with this table aside from the fact that like a huge piece of it is missing, um, is they they laid out the, the costs, um, on the upfront, uh, capital costs, but then also the, the O and M costs, like I was explaining before. And that's the piece that I th- think so many people don't understand. Um, so if you look at solar, uh, $752 per kilowatt, compare that to like wind is eight fifty-five. offshore is way more expensive than that. Uh, hydro or like nuclear is <laughs> $10,000 per kilowatt. Um, that's why there's no new build nuclear. Well, actually there is new build nuclear, but it's like Ten billion dollars over budget or something absurd like that in in georgia um but then also look at the o m costs so like a lot of people are talking about fusion for example is like that's going to be a huge breakthrough that'll allow abundant energy look at the o m costs 127 dollars uh, per kilowatt year that's crazy compare that to solar 15 basically 16 dollars per kilowatt per year um so like this is why solar is going to win because not only does it have the lowest upfront cost but it also is the, the lowest OM cost. Now, if you wanna be a little bit, uh, a reasonable criticism of that would be that solar has the lowest capacity factor. So if you kind of adjust those for the capacity factor, um, the costs are gonna look a little bit higher. So like wind, for example, is like maybe a third higher uh, capacity factor than, than solar. So wind looks a little bit more economical on, on both of these if, uh, metrics if you, if you look at it that way. On uh, what's called a levelized cost of energy where if you spread the lifetime production of like a 30-year solar or wind plant, the upfront cost, the, the O&M cost, if it was a gas plant, you add the fuel and, and the, the maintenance, um, and then you like you essentially have like a cash flow stream. And if you present value that and divide it by the lifetime output, then you get what's called a levelized cost of energy. That's like the best way to actually do this. Um, and but even on that metric, solar is the best, and it's also decreasing uh, the fastest um so solar is going to win for sure in this in this equation but in order to kind of um you can't put all your eggs in that basket because you need it uh, you need some amount of kind of base load power you need some amount of um you know wind definitely complements solar because it blows more at night like we said so it.
0: okay so it, 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 even with the capacity factor equation solar does seem to be a pre, it, it, as long as these uh numbers sort of math out uh, it does seem like it would work. So if, if, if it matches, for example, offshore wind per kilowatt hour at 50% capacity factor. Uh, so so what that basically means is that solar is about half the capacity factor of offshore wind, but the install cost is uh, one-third to one-fourth of it. So even if you have to double up your, your solar to get the net amount of uh, capacity out of solar, it's still going to be cheaper, uh, per kilowatt hour than offshore wind as an example right yeah. is that a good way of thinking about it okay Yep. yep. Got it. Okay. yeah okay uh, so yeah
1: maybe we can end it there and, and go to some some q a
0: okay perfect all right so what we're gonna do we're gonna do an experiment so let's ping the youtube chat for q a and we'll get that geared up by the way we're two hours in on the dot dude we literally reached here two hours on the dot <laughs> so that's kind of wild uh, Matt, thank you so much for going through that. Seriously, that's I can't. I don't even know how much work you've put into this, but w- whatever, work you put in, however much you put in, thank you so much for doing that. As um, my dogs are going crazy today, sorry y'all. They're just so excited about Tesla Energy. Okay, so I'm going to. So go ahead and request on spaces if you have a question. We'll bring you up on the stage, um, Matt. I'm, I'm sure we'll be able to answer a, a lot of the questions that are being thrown here. If you have any comments that you'd like to make. Go ahead, I try to keep them as brief as possible so we can uh, have as many folks on here. And then we'll also bring up uh, questions from YouTube as well and uh, have those read out on Spaces and we'll make sure that the people on YouTube can hear the questions on, on Spaces as well. So I don't have anybody requested yet. Let's go ahead and end the poll and post the results in the meantime. This mysterious uh, poll that I told Matt about at the beginning. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and get that uh, staged. And then uh, when we can, let's start bringing up some questions as well on YouTube so we can uh, start reading through some of those. And we'll see how much of the sort of 30 minutes that we have left uh, we can go through. i um, just waiting for questions to come through, Matt. Uh, yeah, I mean, a summary for me, it seems like if I'm going to try to summarize this thing, this behemoth of a document, <sighs> uh, which I don't even know. Did you, did you go through every single thing you wanted to go through? There's still stuff you wanted to hit.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I, I got through the bulk of it. I mean, I think a, a good chunk of the the rest of the of the document is really just like putting all of this together on like the cost side of the the equation and like outlining how much it would be and then kind of scaling it up from U.S. to global. So I think yeah. if we did do another one, it would it would be a lot shorter. Um, so we can uh, okay. maybe save everybody some time and, and not go through the rest of it if you want to, but I have to okay. do it also. But it's it's mostly just tables and <laughs> we already skipped okay. a lot of them.
0: Got it. All right, so I'm gonna go ahead. Uh, we have Andrew on the stage. Andrew, I'm gonna shoot the uh, the mic over to you here in a second. Let me just make sure I'm doing this correctly. Let me go ahead and put this on speaker. Give me one second. I'll make sure I know how to use my phone. All right, Andrew, go ahead and uh, ask your question. Hi guys, can you hear me? I can hear you. Yes.
2: Can you guys hear me okay?
0: Yep. Yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. I, I'm literally full self-driving betting right now between Pullman and Moscow, up in Washington State.
1: Perfect. Um, I, I listened with a lot of a lot of great interest uh, to your discussion. Matt. This is fantastic work. Really, really uh, am impressed with what you've done with it, with it, looking at this report. Um, the one question that I have is uh, Matt said in passing uh, that Bitcoin mining could be a part of this. There's a huge amount of effort uh, in Texas and in a lot of other states of building out Bitcoin mining in areas where there's a lot of stranded energy. And it seems to be helping with in terms of curtailing and smoothing out power uh, issues with the grids. And I'm just wondering if Matt has any thoughts about that, if he's put any effort into looking at this, uh, just his own comments. Go for it, Matt. Yeah, so I, I did look into this maybe like a year ago because uh, it like... I'm modestly optimistic about cryptocurrency, uh, in general, but I'm not like, you're never going to see me with laser eyes. So, uh, but a lot of like the, the Bitcoin bros out there, like the, the maxis with lasers in their eyes, just like are adamant that like Bitcoin solves this. And it's like, it's like going to solve energy waste and everything like that. And, and right now it's not like they'll, they'll point to a lot of situations where like you can put like, um, a, a Bitcoin miner an, an ASIC on like, a uh, a flared natural gas, uh, pipe, uh, natural gas source, which would just be flared. And like, okay, in that situation, sure. Like you're, you are actually helping, helping the system. Um, and in, in the situation you go online, like putting it in Texas, where a lot of the, you do have a lot of, um, you know, wasted energy or energy, which would otherwise be curtailed. That's a, that's a great answer. Um, the, the problem that I did see when I dove into this is that, uh, the ASICs really don't like to be cycled on and off. So you kind of do need to have firm power of some sort or, or to be um, connected to the grid so that you can use, maybe you use wind that would otherwise be uh, curtailed a, a good chunk of the time. But then uh, there might be, I don't know, 10 hours a day or some portion of the time when you need to be um, supplying your energy from the grid itself. And in that case, you're not actually helping the problem. You're kind of like aggravating the problem. Uh, especially with the peak time, so you can technically turn it off. Um, but what I seems to be the case is that because you you wear out the equipment so much by cycling it on and off frequently, uh, most Bitcoin miners just don't do that. So, like I looked at one that was sited with a wind site; uh, they got a really good deal on power because it's it's much cheaper to um, you know to to uh, use your ele- electricity at the source and avoid paying for the for the transmission and distribution. But then they're just connected to the grid, so they're pulling you know at the times when you, when you don't have the excess supply. So, um, I think it can be a part of the problem, but honestly, I'm more optimistic for like other applications, which can come in and and maybe smooth things out, uh, and be more kind of able to start and stop like this hydrogen example is a a perfect one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Andrew, for the question. Um, the the other one that comes to mind that we talked about it briefly, I mean, desalination of water to me sounds like it sounds like it's such a huge one and opportunity. And and also like, you know, why is that such a huge deal? Think about all the different uh, places in the world where there's landmass, but there's not a lot of people living there because there's just no water and there's no easy access to water in a world where you have the cost of electricity is, is near zero and the curtailment of energy could allow you to, say, build up a storage of desalinated water and you build that infrastructure to bring this water out to these sort of remote places, you know, there could be absolutely gorgeous oases, but there's not enough water to like affordable water to maintain an actual civilization of millions of people. As, as soon as you have this, like, why wouldn't you be able to do that? You yeah. know, I feel like that that gets solved. And then you build an entire economy in those areas. I don't know. Yeah, no, I, yeah. It, it
1: makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's you need a lot of scale um to, to do it. But I think it's like the future, I mean, imagine this future where like we've got, we're wasting 30, we're curtailing 34% of our electricity. People will find uses for that. I, I guarantee you. Uh, and to, to Tesla's credit, they didn't like solve for that and just say like, oh, there'll be extra economic activity that will fund, fund this. They just assume that it actually is wasted. But I, I completely agree with you, Farzad. Uh, uh, desalination is a perfect uh, use case for this.
0: Got it. Awesome. All right, so let me go ahead and do this again. We're going to bring up our next uh, person on spaces. Uh, Let's make sure I do this correctly. Joe, go ahead and ask your question or make a comment. Can you hear us, Joe? Dave, can you hear us? Hello, can you hear us? Hello, one, two. Matt, you can hear me, right? Yep. Yep. Joe, can you hear us? Okay. Okay. It looks like, uh, Joe, I don't know if you can hear us, but you may have to uh, rejoin the space. I'm going to go ahead and remove them from from here and go back to my phone with my AirPods. Okay, let's go ahead and bring up the first question on YouTube, Producer Wife, when you get a chance. And then uh, we'll uh, keep going. All right, so from Steven Taylor on YouTube. Question, for shipping over water, could we just eliminate that and use boring tunnels just for shipping containers? Those are some big. Those are some long tunnels. <laughs> how do you think about very, that? Very yeah. long tunnels. Yeah.
1: Um, I, I mean, probably technically possible, but I mean, you want to go from LA to Shanghai with a with a big tunnel, and I don't know how deep the the ocean bed goes, but I would. I don't know what happens if your car breaks down in, in the middle of the tunnel. I don't <laughs> know. It seems like uh, it's probably technically possible. Uh, I just wouldn't bank on on that this particular use case i mean 500 years from now i'm sure we'll have something like that but you know in our lifetime i'm skeptical
0: what about the whole concept of i know uh elon and spacex sort of talked about using starship as a point to port transport system in a world where you are able to create these say synthetic fuels at a cost of near zero you know with this sort of new energy thing wouldn't, the, wouldn't Starship as a cargo transportation system where it probably requires a fraction of the fuel it would need to get to orbit or to Mars, wouldn't that become a viable form of, uh, say, continent-to-continent transportation system? I mean, so we would have to sit down and do the math, mm-hmm. but...
1: Well, just thinking of what Elon has said about about this, he said that it would be, like, the cost would be comparable to, like, a, um, like an intercontinental flight, I think he said. So, think of like 150 pound or 200 pound person paying $2,000 or something like that. Um, mm, round trip. I, round, round round trip. Yeah. So if you're trying to transport, I don't know, something like a lot of, I don't know, whatever it is like steel or whatever, you know, import export thing. I, I just imagine at that price per pound ratio, there's not a lot of things that w- w- probably would be economical.
0: But that's a current not. cost though, right?
1: Well, I th- I th- no, I think that it was a hypothetical. Didn't he say like when, when we do point to point and essentially SpaceX is only paying for the fuel of the launch.
0: But I'm talking about the cost of making that fuel under oh, okay. this. Yeah. So if,
1: we, if we're using essentially free electricity. To, curtailed energy. Yeah. yeah. And then I mean part of the problem is like there's you've got to capture the carbon and so that adds a cost. That's one of the most expensive things in, in the document. So I mean, I could I could see a scenario or a, like a case to be made where, where you could have that being economical, but um I don't know, like do, you, do we wanna be having like thousands of starships like taking off and like going around <laughs> all of it? like that would just be
0: crazy. You know, it'd be yeah. a lot. <laughs> That'd be a lot of uh, uh greenhouse emissions. That's for damn sure. Okay. Let me go ahead and bring up the uh, next uh, person on spaces. Let me make sure I do this right. Okay. So we're yeah, going to go. A couple of good
1: comments in, in there too, by the way, while you bring up the, the next person. The, the Starship is too small uh, and the pressure and heat would be a huge problem. I think that's a really good point. I mean, if you're pulling like 3Gs or 4Gs, you da- damage a lot of stuff that you're transporting. So that's definitely a consideration.
0: Got it. Okay, Uh, Florian, go ahead and unmute and uh, go ahead and ask your question or make a comment.
1: Hi guys, hi Matt, how are you doing? Hey, shout out to Florian. Florian's the the founder of uh, Mr. Green, for those who don't know. Nice.
2: Uh, Thank you very much for your very impressive uh, and passionate talk. Um, My question is, um, can you explain something about um,
1: the plans of Tesla? About their 30 monthly subscription um for unlimited overnight home charging how are they able to get that done for 30 dollars a month yeah so that that is so it's unlimited home charging um it's only available in texas um i believe and i'm not even sure if it's available everywhere in texas farzad do you know the answer to
0: that i think it's just texas
1: but is it everywhere within Texas, or is it only like select uh, locations within
0: within I think Texas? It's the whole state, if I remember okay. correctly. I might be wrong, but yeah.
1: So I, I think that the way that they're able to do that is that uh, like Texas, as we kind of already talked about, has um, a, a massive amount of, of of solar and of wind in particular. Um, so like the the differentials between like peak and on peak in in Texas and in ERCOT, which is the the grid operator in Texas, are like massive. Um, a lot of people don't realize Texas is like by far, um, like by probably 10 times, (laughs) like there's more solar in, in Texas than in like California or anywhere else, any other state, um, like completely leading the way, uh, which I think uh, confuses a lot of people who just assume that like red States are, are anti-renewable development or something like that. It's just not the case. Um, so like there is a huge amount of, uh, of wind, in particular, in Texas, that results in low or negative uh, wholesale power prices um, on a somewhat regular basis uh, during the overnight hours uh, when when demand is is lower. Um, and so, uh, I think what, techs, what Tesla is 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 doing the math they're running is they're saying, okay, you know, we can we can buy this power uh, on average at whatever their cost is. I you know, I haven't done the math, but then they're looking at all their charging data, I'm sure, and saying, okay, when do people um charge their their teslas typically um and if we assume that there won't be a massive deviation in like the times that they are charging um then we can and and the quantities that they're using i mean that's another piece of the equation um then um we can actually offer this plan that makes like the, the the decision from the the customer a lot easier, and and the economics of buying power on the wholesale market to to kind of um, you know backfill that demand is uh, is reasonable enough that we're willing to kind of take the the risk that the customers' behavior changes, or that they, you know they charge more or at, at suboptimal times. So I would guess that like they've done all the math and they think that they can maybe their cost is like. $20 or something like that, they're, that they're projecting. So they round up and say, all right, we'll sell it for 30. Um, obviously Tesla only has that data, but that, that's, that's kind of my view of, uh, how this is shaking out.
0: Is it like a, is it fair to say that this may be like a, like a proxy way of capturing curtailed energy in a way? Are yeah. Just capitalizing I mean, on that. The,
1: the energy nerd in me would, would rather it be like that, that, that there is some kind of price signal to the customer so that like, Hey, if it's a peak time, Uh, don't charge or if you do charge then like we're going to pay you're going to pay you know five times more than your normal rate or something like that Um, because really the the best thing to do is like when all that wind and solar would be curtailed charge then uh, because then it's like it's just the best for the the overall economy
0: great all right let's uh let's uh do the last 10 minutes on youtube here let's pull up the next question looks like we have no more requests on spaces let's uh go ahead and pull up the next question producer wife From Hannah, great friend of the show question. What is Matt's opinion about hydroelectric power specifically, uh, the supply being produced at Niagara Falls?
1: Um, yeah, so, so hydroelectric for those who are not familiar, like, you know, dams, or you can actually use, um, uh, like the gravitational weight of water to, to be like what's called pumped storage. So essentially using water as a battery, um, hydroelectric I think is great, um, Canada actually is doing a phenomenal job at, at hydro they've got some very low power prices um, because uh, they, they've really uh, done they've, they've built a ton of hydro and frankly they've got great hydro electric resources um there's just not the, the problem I have with, with hydro is just that it doesn't really scale um, I mean a lot of the the great hydro resources were developed hundred years ago you um, know I went and toured some hydroelectric plants that were like built in the early 1900s, and like they've got the original, uh, you know, turbines that Edison was working on to, to power these things. And, you know, there's like, it's nice. I mean, for the, for the most part, they're small. I mean, if you want to do something big, um, like what China did at the Three Gorges, problem is like there's massive um, economic or ecological and, and like human displacement that, that that caused. So like to do new hydroelectric dams is probably just not going to happen. Um, so I think it's it's a great part of the resource. It, it helps uh, with a lot of things, but uh, I just don't see it having significant potential to scale.
0: Thank you. This is the next question. Ba-ba-da-da. And Roger, a question. Will all output from the new cattle CATL Shanghai factory go to Tesla?
1: Um, I don't know. I don't know enough about the specifics of that to, to give an educated answer. So rather than guess at that, I would say, I don't know. Tesla needs a lot of cells, <laughs> but I don't, I don't know enough about, uh, CATL's plans, uh, to, to really definitively answer that one.
0: Perfect. We got a question on spaces. Let me go ahead and uh, switch this over real quick. Uh, we're going to go take a question. Give me one second. Let me put this on speaker and okay and uh, they disconnected. Okay, pull up the next question on YouTube, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right, from... um, Oh, I'm sorry. Frode? I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. Uh, Question. What do you guys think about the modular nuclear power? Thanks for the lovely show. What do you think about modular nuclear power, Matt?
1: Yeah, so that's kind of the the, the next thing that's being developed. So rather than these... You know huge um you know gigawatt plus scale plants that are being built like this this one in georgia is has been an absolute disaster it's like eight years behind schedule and i think it was supposed to cost i'm gonna get these numbers wrong but something like two billion dollars and right now it's at like 17 billion (laughs) so it's just like it's been it's been a disaster so a, a lot of uh people in the in the nuclear industry are pushing for much smaller kind of modular nuclear power um, I think it's fine. To go forward with that. Uh, but it's, it's like got the same issues. I think that we, we were talking about earlier. Um, I mean, it's good to have some amount of base load. So like that part, I, I definitely like, but the, you know, the O&M costs are still very, uh, um, like high relative to, to other um, forms out there. So it's like, I hope people keep developing it, but I, I'm just skeptical. I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong on that, but I just don't think it really scales economically. Yeah. Um, I'm getting texted for my wife, Razad, so maybe I can do one more, and then I gotta scoot. One in. more,
0: okay. So let's let's take the last question on spaces here. Uh, let me go ahead and pull up. Uh, let's do uh, Oliver. Oliver, go ahead and ask your question or make a comment. Oliver, I can... uh, good evening. How you doing? Yeah, I'm
2: good. I'm speaking from Nigeria. It's ten twenty-four p.m. here. To so, um. Um, is
0: there any other car that will be more faster than the Tesla Plaid? I guess the Lucid Air is more faster this time around. or is there any other any other one that is coming out aside from the Tesla Blade, which is the fastest right now? Thank you. Sure. Uh, I believe right now the fastest uh, electric car, zero to sixty, I think, is the the Plaid, if I remember correctly. Um, yeah, I know Lucid, yes. it might be a couple tenths of a second slower to seg sam I and they're both hella fast cars and i think the i think the lucid may have a um a higher top speed right now before sort of tesla removes the the max speed limit on the plaid i i, I believe I, I can't remember if that's correct or not matt do you know for sure
1: no it, i think it's the plaid but uh, yeah i don't know
0: okay yeah sorry oliver uh but i do think it's the plaid but the lucid's super fast too that they're both if you're going to buy one of those two you're going to go really fast regardless so (laughs) all right uh matt thank you so much dude two and a half hours almost of incredible information thank you so much for taking the time for uh we're very lucky that you just happen to be very nerdy about this stuff and you get to uh put all that wisdom on in our brains uh any last words before we wrap the sucker up
1: uh no it was uh I hope it was helpful. Hope, hope we didn't lose too many because it's uh, there's a lot of Incredibly detail and depth. But you know, I think it's uh, I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter of just like I don't understand what this plan is, and it's a uh, it's like, really not written for the general public. So I'm glad I was able to hopefully share a, a little bit of insight in what it actually means in, in kind of more layman's terms.
0: Yeah, and maybe what we could do if if there's time for a follow up in the future, maybe we can collect some uh, some feedback, some additional questions, and then maybe we'll answer those either on Twitter or uh, on here as well, but we can figure that stuff out. Um, all right. Thank you all so much. I know you got to go, Matt. Thank you very much. Thank you everybody in the comment section for keeping the awesome discussion going. Thank you everybody on spaces for joining us today. Thank you to all the mods for keeping it awesome and and just very fruitful in the comment section. Thank you so much. Producer wife as always for doing an incredible job producing the job on YouTube, uh, the work on YouTube. And then, lastly, Matt, seriously, man, you are, you are a freaking godson. Thank you so much. You're awesome. (laughs) I'll never hear you say that again. No, never. Just take that (laughs) with you to the bank because you'll never hear it from me. All right, everybody. We'll see you on the next one. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Matt. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye.